Put down your paintbrush. It's time for Hobby Support Group. Tom and I talk a little bit longer in this episode than normal. We have some complicated issues with the listener question. So please bear with us. It's a longer episode, but that means you get extra content. So I uh, hope you enjoy. Morning, Andy. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing today? I'm moderately warm. How about yourself? Oh, every window in the house is open right oh, now. Look, lucky you with openable windows. <laughs> yeah, this is... <laughs> This is, uh, Tom, are you, <laughs> sorry, um, yes, this is a private joke between me and Tom, I say a private joke, it's, if, for me it's a joke, for Tom it's a waking nightmare. Um, let the listeners in behind the curtain, had a safety inspection on the windows in uh, our flat the other week, well actually back in March, and during the safety inspection of the windows, they broke the running gear on every window, which then they had to shut. So I'm now waiting for the windows to be replaced. Currently, an open a ball in the middle of a heat wave. Which is a dream, of course. I mean, that's what we all hope for, isn't it? I remember greenhouse I living. I remember living in a house where the, the heating got stuck. This is rented accommodation. Where the heating got stuck on in the middle of summer. So the heat was going all summer. And because it was on constantly, it broke the boiler just in time for winter. That sounds like rented accommodation. Accommodation, so boiling all summer, no heat in the winter. Perfect combination. But yeah, never mind. Oh, yeah, so um, a, a, a status update from me. Obviously, uh, William had that cold that was like really bad for him, knocked him out for two days. Uh, and inevitably, I've caught it. So if I sound a bit bunged up, I do apologise, listeners. I have been... Had the worst cold I've had in probably a decade. It wasn't COVID, though. That was nice. It wasn't COVID. Don't worry. Um, so I, I, I kind of wondered, was it so bad because I haven't really been sick for a year? Or was this a really bad strain? I don't know. But I am here. I'm recording, Tom. I've had some cold medicine. And this is going to be the best episode ever. Fingers Maybe. crossed. Fingers crossed. How about you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh Busy, managed to get some hobbying done the last couple of weeks, and looking forward to today's show. Lots of good things to talk about. We're looking at the morality of wargaming, and we're looking at bolt action as well. We're getting ready for a tournament and all our usual hobby news and what we've been up to stuff. So uh, we'll best get started, Tom. Well, let's jump in. Hobby progress. This last weekend, I actually managed to get some paint on some minis. Woohoo! Nice, Tom. What did you paint? Uh, painting some early war Japanese. Lovely. Which is. Is this um, for fighting the Chinese? Yes, it's the Battle of Shanghai Japanese that I'm working on for this tournament next month. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked up a while ago the Warlord. Well, Warlord sell a technically a paint set for Japanese. It's really just a load of uh, Vallejo model colour in a jiffy bag. Yeah. And it was easier just to chuck that on an order and get it sent yeah, rather no, than yeah. buy the individual paints. And 
Sorry, go on, Andy. I was, no, I've seen a few of those. There's the one for Italians and, and different armies, and it literally is they have a selection of paints, and I think it does make it a lot more convenient than, you know, there may not be a little cardboard box set, a little thing that you can you can buy, but you don't really need the cardboard box. It's all about the paints, really, isn't it? It's all about the paints, and especially for if you're doing something like a, a one-off or something like that, you know, they're, they're really useful. Like, I got the Great Escape Games, do a similar one for the Hungarians. Um, mm-hmm. Like their one is AK paint. Um, yeah. Warlord one is the Valeo. And it's actually, it's the first time in a very long time I've painted something just using the, you know, standard Vallejo model color yeah. paints. And I forgot that they're really quite nice paint. Oh, um, Vallejo, Vallejo are my favorite paints. They're my favorite. I love Vallejo. The one... I like scale seventy-five paints. I have got a few of those, and they are very, but they're very matte. I don't use them very often. But Vallejo are my go-to paints. I have the white and grey, the monochrome set for mm-hmm. scale seventy-five, which I really like. But I don't have any of their other colours. I have the flesh set. For five. I find it a little bit intimidating. There's so many different colours in there, and it came with a little sheet that was supposed to help you show you how to use them. But all it was was like some pictures. I'm like, all right. So here's some intimidatingly well-painted models for you to look at that have been painted with our flesh set. All right, okay. <laughs> so um, I've used it a few times, but um, I need to give it another go. Uh, I'm using a, uh, for the flesh on these Japanese minis that I'm painting, I'm using a uh, Tamiya enamel. And yep. it, it, I'd forgotten how horrible painting with enamel paint can be when it's really hot oh the smell they still smell i haven't used one for 30 years tom so are they still stinky as ever more the fact that it dry it has a like i use a tiny syringe to put a little bit of it on my palette yeah and like which is how i normally paint with things from jars yeah and i can't do that because it's got a skin on it within about 12 seconds um, mm. And it's you can't re. I haven't really been able to thin coat, put a thin coat of it on because it's almost drying on the brush. Right. Um, I think it's probably because the flat is so hot. So yeah. I'm to put it on a little bit thicker than I I would ideally like. But these are minis that I'm painting quickly to go to an event, so it's fine. Well, I mean, with with the windows closed, maybe you can just build up the humidity levels in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've even I, I tried yesterday, which actually sort of worked a little bit of putting it on my wet palette, um, yeah. which you now is a bit weird for an enamel on a wet palette, but it, it sort of it's something kept it usable. Could you put me. white spirits in the wet palette? I've never tried. I haven't tried that actually. Um, I don't know. I hope it wouldn't wreck your wet palette, but I just uh, yeah, I could put white spirits. I on could it. probably make like a a homemade one, a jewelry rigged wet palette with just a dish, a bit of greaseproof paper, and a sponge in. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that how, how that would work. Or if you just have loads of fumes coming off your like, yeah. your wife's going to come home and find you collapsed and think you have some kind of sniffing <laughs> problem. Solved oh it. no, uh, Odilus, go to an art shop. And pick up some odorless white spirit. Um, yeah. You know, for like 
the increase, like even when you're doing oil washes and stuff, the quality of life improvement of spending like three or four quid on a bottle of odorless white spirit compared to using the stuff from the pound shop yeah. is, you know, it's worth three or four quid. Um, I mean, that's the main reason I've never tried oil washes is that I have a family that would come in and my wife would be like, what the heck have you done? Why have you filled our tiny London flat with the smell of terps? You know? <laughs> Or you can go fancy and get the, uh, there is some orange scented white spirits as well. So it just sounds like you've been cleaning everywhere. It smells like. Uh, uh, when my wife comes in and she smells, I can be like, but babe, I've just been cleaning the house. Can't you smell it? I can't see anything cleaner, but I can smell the freshness. I guess you must have. No, she would never. She'd be like, what are you trying to cover up? She'd know. She'd know. Yeah, so that's. Uh, what I've been painting up and it, it was really nice to actually get time to paint them up and they painted surprisingly quickly I think sort of managing to get about 12 to 14 infantry painted in probably like two two and a half hours yeah so was he did, did he finish the infantry did you say Nah, because the whole army's infantry right. I've just been I've been doing um and because I'm trying to get the, what I would normally do is paint a unit at a time. Yeah. So I would normally paint them sort of seven or nine at a time, which is how yeah. I paint. But because I'm trying to get these done as quickly as possible, um, like I'm not trying to rush them and do like a terrible paint job on them. I'm mm-hmm. just trying to get them done quickly because I've got an event in a couple of weeks, well, I think three weeks now. And hope, you know, we're hopefully playing with them soon. So I want them painted up for then really. Yeah. Um, so it's just, and because I've got having to have a dozen painting handles, it's just right. I'll just do them a dozen at a time, and then work put them back into squads when they're done. Because they're pretty simple paint job. You know, it's like all the trousers and tunics are one color. The putties are a different. The putties and shirts are a different color. So it's like big brush, do the jackets and trousers. Little brush, do everything else. And like when you're painting yeah. shoes, painting twelve pairs of boots is just as quick as painting seven or nine pairs of boots yeah. really oh yeah, like, yeah definitely you know when you've got 60 odd dudes to do just get them done as quick as possible you know the more the, the bigger the batch i paint them in the quicker they seem to get done mm-hmm. um, and surprisingly that will not be a shock but when i did my um my falchion like a year ago i still haven't played with those guys yet um i just <laughs> that's all infantry as well i got a bike i think in there um I uh, yeah, I just just I would just do the boots, do the tra- do the hats, do the helmets. You know, just one thing at a time. Because I was watching, I'd just be watching TV and just just like auto- automatically just get it done while watching shows. Yeah, and when it's re- when it even doesn't even have to be really even as long as it as long as it's not cold and chucking it down. When you're batch painting, like you know, I do all the trousers. By the time and the jackets, by the time I've finished them, I can then go and start doing the putties and the shirts. And then by the yeah. time I've done them, I can do the shoes. Yeah. And then I can do the well, what I do is I do the jackets and trousers, then I do rifles, like I do the wooden parts of rifles, mm-hmm. then I do the putties, then I do the metal bits on the rifles, then I do uh, all the flesh, like hands and faces. Yeah. Then I do like helmet straps, webbing, and everything like that. Um, 
because on these the helmet straps and all the webbing's leather. So yeah. it's, you know, and it's the same leather as the boots. So it's just you know, it's like half a dozen colours and the whole thing's done. Yeah. And then give them a wash. Yeah. Um, job I mean, done. When I'm doing it, I, never, I don't try to push myself too hard. I'm like, okay, so I'm just going to do the helmet. And it's weird. If you're doing like 30 or 40 guys, you're like, halfway through, you're like, man, I don't feel like I've done anything on these guys. And then just suddenly, like one evening, he says, like, pop, 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 they're all done. And you're like, oh, they're all done suddenly. How did that happen? But for ages, because when you're doing like a, a production line technique like that, it just seems like you're not getting anywhere for a bit. And then suddenly they're just done. Yeah, I, I've tried doing that in the past where I've, I've tried to paint like an entire army, like in a batch. So like, right, today I'm going to do 90 pairs of shoes or 90 helmets, that sort of thing. And I found I didn't particularly like that because I found spending like a couple of hours just painting like pouches or, you know, that sort of thing, I found a bit boring. So yeah. I, I prefer to split it up into sort of, you know, Upper limit about a dozen. Um, it also depends where I'm painting because if I'm painting at my computer, I can fit like comfortably about maybe like half a dozen to seven painting handles. Yeah. Whereas if I'm painting on my painting table, I can have you know a dozen or more dozen. set up. Good. But you know there is also a finite limit to how many painting handles that you buy. Um, I mean, I just have the one painting handle. I've Shocking. Got... I, I think I have 14. I, I tend to actually just use a big piece of blue tack. I just go, and I paint them stuck on the blue tack and then take them off. That's fine for plastic models. Oh, it's, it's perfect for plastic models. It, it depends also. Yeah, if you're painting things with the wafer bases or a lipped base, mm. you know, blue t especially for the lip heavier things on a lipped base, I think blue tack's really good. Yeah. I, just, I really like the painting handles and is they seem to have got into one of those things where like family will buy me them for like birthday and Christmas. And so like, I've probably bought myself half a dozen, but more of them, you know, I just need to get more all the time. And I just have you got any of the new designs. No. Um, the ones that don't tip over. Do they not tip over? Is that the thing? I think that, I think they are designed more to not tip over yeah that was the issue with the one i've got it was just, it just seemed a bit light in the handle i thought the handle was going to be heavier at the top <laughs> when you put it down i was like oh that's actually a little bit tippy yeah i think it depends what you're painting on them like i've never had any problems with like a normal 28 mil mini that's like in a normalish pose mm-hmm but if you go in something that's like either top heavy or has a weird center of gravity, then they might well fall over. And also, if if you walk, if you have them on the table, and you walk by them, then they are they might well then fall over. Yeah. But what I did was I I only did it for a couple of them. I just drilled them out. Yeah. Um, I drilled the bottom of one of the handles out, filled it with some uh, shot ballast, then just glued. It up again, so just like weighted it a little bit, and that's yeah. the one I use for like if I'm painting something like a dreadnought or a tank or something like that, yeah. and I want it just to be a bit heavier. Yeah, because I, I it also because the, the heads are all interscrewed, interchangeable. I've got like one of the ones that takes the big 60 mil bases, so that's the one I use for that one. Yeah, yeah, but um, I think also 
just like on the paint handle thing, I think the GW ones, which I think the ones I bought were about a fiver each, um, are really well worth it. And I know like there are other companies that make them which charge like, you know, 20, 30 quid for them. And I've never used those really expensive ones, but I would highly recommend you know, trying out one of the fiver ones. And it re- oh, yeah. It isn't much, there isn't much difference from, I used to use a wine cork glued to a 2P with a block of blue tack on the top. Yeah. And there isn't a million miles of difference between the two. Yeah. But, you know, I think that they are just really comfortable and nice to use. And you think, right, for a fiver, I'd give one a go. That would, yeah. that would be my two pence. You know, much better than a random piece of, you know, wood you've got out of a skip that you've <laughs> banged a bit of blue tack on. Yeah. Um, but you know, people's budgets are different. Drone. Yeah, I like I like my bit of blue tack because I've shaped it just to the right shape for my hand to hold, and if I just push it on, it just holds it. Um, <clears throat> your mileage may vary. Yeah, I, I enjoy not having to bulk buy blue tack anymore. Um, so yeah, I'll look forward to seeing those guys when they're painted. It seems like you're doing you're working your way through. That sounds good. Yeah, I think hopefully uh, we've got a game booked for a couple of weeks' time, haven't we? And hopefully we now get our eye back into actually playing games after a year and a half. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I really need to play some bolt action, Tom. I have I'm struggling to remember the rules, and we've got this tournament, and I I don't necessarily want to win it and be the best. But I certainly don't want to embarrass myself by like not knowing the rules. No, and I think it would be. I don't think I will have them fully painted for when we play our first game, as like a practice game. But I think it would be quite poor form after a year and a half to rock up with a mostly unpainted army. Um, poor form. Oof, an unpainted army, Tom. I don't know. Uh, fine. How about yourself? Me? Well, yes. So, a couple of things. I haven't actually done that much painting, because obviously, with William being sick, and then half term, and me being sick, there has not been any real painting going on in the house. But I did get some done. Uh, I shared on the group already the Sengoku um, uh, six mil samurai houses that I painted. Do you remember those? They look amazing, those houses that you painted up. Oh, they look, thanks very much. They look really, really nice. Um, also made because I've got them as well. Yeah. And I think I'm probably going to have to, I'm going to rebase mine so they fit with yours because yours looks better than how I based mine. I, I, I did. Yeah, I had a little think about it because I was thinking about doing like round CD disc size terrain, like a little scene, the, the houses on, then I'd set them up. But then I thought I, if I did them on square bases... It gives me more options to set them up in different ways. Our approach looks a lot better, and I think we'll game a lot better because it seems to be in six mil games, terrain is quite like, and buildings are quite an abstraction. Mm-hmm. It's not like this house is a house. It could be like this house is actually like an entire village, or you know. You're not going to put a unit in a house. You're not leaning not, down. To, you're not leaning down to see. Oh, is that 
is that wall covering fifty percent of that model? The bayonet sticking out, <laughs> you know. Yeah. How many windows are there that the monks can shoot out of? Um, yeah. You know, doing that because I think a lot of the six mil games that I've been reading the rules for pretty much ignore terrain. It's like, does it block line of sight? Yes or no. Can you run through it? Yes or no. Right. That's it then. So that they're pretty much in a way like you're playing on a bowling green with blobs in between that prevent line of sight or make terrain difficult or not. Yeah. Rather than, well, this is a house. This is like hard cover, soft cover. Away you go. So I think your setup looks a lot better and will also fit in with things like fields and rivers and stuff much more. Uh, organically than my like set up village which you know yeah. you put it in the middle of the table and away you go yeah um, I mean there's something to be said for that for set, speed of setup like done <laughs> there it is boom let's go um, so yeah with those guys I, I um, well last episode I talked about how I was a bit uh, annoyed in myself because I thought I was using the contrast paints too much and I wanted to get away from that and I wasn't taking my painting maybe the next level that I should do so I spent way too long um, building up layers using wash I spent way too long on those houses because they're just houses but I was using some Vallejo paints you know and um, using all the old techniques that I would would have used before I started using contrast and it was really really good actually I really enjoyed it Um, just getting back to the older techniques and not not worrying about Xenophil, like, use a contrast, paint over it, you know, then do a height. No, I just um, sprayed them brown and then just worked my way up. I mean, considering they just really are just like brown and light brown, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of funny that I spent so much time on them. But I really enjoyed it. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really what it's about. I just, I just really enjoyed doing it. And then when they were finished, I was really pleased with how they look. I should go and put some little... Um, what's the word for the Japanese symbols? Kanji? Yeah. I should put some on the little flags and stuff, probably. Um, but I haven't done that, and I'm I'm not too worried. I can do that at any point I want to. I'll go back and just paint some on. But yeah, I think they look really good, so I'm really, really pleased with how they turned out. And still completely intimidated about painting the six mil samurai proper <laughs> i'm going to i'm going to cut that out as a soundbite that it's going to be dead easy to go back and and like freehand six mil scale japanese characters on tiny flags um, <laughs> yeah you heard that here listeners it's dead easy to do six mil japanese characters on flags <laughs> compared to what is the question <laughs> Three mil Japanese characters on flags. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how I get on, eh? Uh, <laughs> pride cometh before fall. Or maybe my confidence will just I'll just power through. You never yeah, know. Yeah, you, you might find that you've got some innate super calligraphy ability. Um, it turns out that actually he's some kind of master at calligraphy. Second career. <laughs> I just didn't know. I was just writing in the wrong language all these years. Um so I did those, and the next thing I worked on was I started painting my necromantic um, Blood Bowl team, which I've had sitting there for ages, and I was, just needed to get on and get them done. And I'd enjoyed working with those proper paints, not those contrast paints, so much that I decided to 
uh, go back to using contrast again. So I started those guys, did their boots on all of them, and I'm, I'm just working my way through the, the different models for the team. But I realized I needed a, um, a paint for the zombie skin. So I have ordered that paint, but it has not arrived yet. So it will not be appearing on my um, spoilers, on my hobby spends. Because we talk about things when they arrive, don't we, Tom? I think so. Yep. Um, so we have consequences <coughs> that apply till they arrive. Oh, well, is, is that the rules? <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Uh, that's fine. It's... Uh, it, it, well, it'll probably arrive. It may arrive mid-recording, in which case... <laughs> I might have to add it on. Quick, we have to do the hobby purchases before it arrives, Tom. Hobby purchases. So as we're in, you know, we're in a rush to beat the postie, possibly. <laughs> Literally waiting for the postman to arrive as we're recording this. And, you know, I might have to add it on. So um, I'll let you go first, Tom. We'll give him a little chance to get here. Uh, well, my hobby purchases for the last fortnight is nothing. Showing off again, Tom. <laughs> it's with with moving, because I've got to move out while we have a, a lot of work done in the flat. I realised just how much stuff I've got. Um, mm -hmm. And also, with moving it and boxing stuff up, I don't really want to be buying stuff to then just immediately box up and not use. So, in the, the hobby news section there is something i intend to buy and i did go to buy but was unable to buy it at the time so i would have bought something but mysterious yeah so for us fortnight hobby purchases is nothing for me <clears throat> how uh, about yourself yeah no not quite nothing for me i'm afraid um i bought some things tom and i want to start now um Yes, yeah, so I've noticed on the on the, hob, on the Facebook groups, people have been using me um, and talking about me. Oh, I'm not as bad as Andy's spending. I mean, please do not use me as a role model for your own spending, because um, I know I spend too much. And use me as some kind of metric of uh, how many ovals did you spend this week? Um, so I have got a bit of a story to tell, Tom. I could go into hobby news, but I think it's in the hobby spending. So let's start with what I purchased. So. I bought, remember the zombie stormtroopers I got last time? Yes. Well, I needed the captain and the second in command. So I bought um, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Um, and they're for, they were for the Legion Star Wars game. Oh, yeah, they come so... in a box and there's loads of tokens and stuff. But I actually haven't even opened them. They've gone in ready because I'm, they've gone in the box ready for my next year projects, 2022. Oh, so um, at least they are then legitimate Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader rather than like Liam Skywalker and yeah, yeah. <laughs> generic Darth Vader ripoff. Darth name. Vader. <laughs> um, so I got Luke and Darth so they're ready to go, and I, I picked up a couple of three um, D printed Gonk droids as well, power droids for those in the know um, for six pounds. But so I, uh, I got. So Luke and Darth were 15 together with postage, and the Gonks were £6 of postage. So that was £21. Nice. Now, 
Here's we get into the story. I had a um, a very bad customer service experience, Tom. I was yes. very disappointed with, and we have spoken about this. But I'm of the opinion that even talking about someone and saying they're really bad, just by talking about them, is is good publicity for them. So I'm not even going to mention their name. So I'm just going to tell you that I have always had really, really good customer service from Goblin Gaming. It wasn't Goblin Gaming. Goblin Gaming have been fantastic and always done a really, really good job. But instead of mentioning the company that was really bad, I'm just going to say Goblin Gaming are great. Tom? I couldn't agree more. I, I put an order in last year with Goblin Gaming. Everything was in stock. That afternoon, they literally rang me up to say one of the items I'd ordered actually wasn't in stock. Did I want to wait two days till it was in stock or them send the rest of the order? Yeah. I said I was in no rush. They sent me the order. And whenever I have ordered Goblin Gaming stuff, and I've ordered quite a lot of stuff from Goblin Gaming, it has always arrived quite often the next day, if not the day after. And if there has been any delay... They have always been spot on. This is when it's going to turn up. And if they say, we're ordering it, it's going to be two weeks, it will be two weeks. I have ordered things from three other large companies, and things have taken literally months to to arrive. And And they have had a range of utterly pathetic excuses. People say that... um... If you have bad news, you tell like 10 people. If you have good news, you tell like one person. So I'm, I'm trying to reverse that. I'm not going to talk about the bads because I ordered something and I literally waited six months. I had to get in contact with them to say, what is going on? I've been waiting six months for this product. You have not contacted me once. Do you think it's, it's right that I have to contact you? No, it's not right. You know, do you think I deserve an apology? Do you think, you know, you, you should do something about this? Yeah. And and all they could offer me was a refund, and I was just like, yeah, just give me the money back. And I immediately took that money and I spent it at Goblin Gaming. So I've I've actually put another, so that contrast paint I'm waiting for is part of a, a general restock on my paints. And I was like, I'm I was like I was so angry. I'm going to go and spend money with your competition, and I'm going to publicise how good your competition is on my podcast. And I'm not even going to mention who you are, but those. Those who know probably can guess who it is. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I was expecting some Keyforge decks. They, they, they I just, in the, I actually ordered some Keyforge decks from Amazon in the end. I know, I know everyone, I put an order of Amazon, but um, I spent £20 on um, Keyforge decks of Amazon and they arrived the next day <laughs> rather than nothing for six months. So I suppose they have that going for Amazon, at least. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm just going to say, yeah, again, um, Goblin Gaming, really good, great communication. I'm going to use those guys. Um, and the other people who let me down, I'm not even going to mention their name ever again on this show. Um, that's minus £22 I got back from my refund, Tom. So that's good. Um yes. And then I decided, oh, you know what? I'm I'm working on this um, Dutch West Indian, Dutch West Indian, Dutch East Indian, wrong wrong Indies um, army. 
And I know there's a supplement with another army listing, isn't there, Tom? Apart from the France and the armies. Yeah, the... Is it the New Guinea or... Yeah, I I ordered, uh, and I looked on Amazon, I've done a lot of Amazon promoting here, um, and it was like eight quid free postage for the Empire in Flames. So I ordered it, again, came in a couple of days, and I'm flicking through, and I'm like, and uh, turns out it's in the New Guinea book. (laughs) Empire in Flames is an amazing book. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and I do intend at some point to do a Chinese army. I kind of just think it'd be really fun to do some some Chinese warlord um, stuff. Um, I just want to get some big swords. Who doesn't want big swords? No, I, I think really, I know a lot of tournaments and events are now saying no campaign books, mm-hmm. but I think I would really say that the Empire in Flames should be classed as an army book. I think that one is, is just such a good book, and it has you know, it has the Chinese army lists in it. You can't play Chinese unless you play that. Um, yeah. And I, I would also say the same for the uh, Fortress Budapest book, because mm-hmm. that just fundamentally changes how you play Hungarians. Um, yeah. And actually makes them uh, a really interesting army to play. Whereas in the Italy and the Axis book, without getting on my high horse and moaning, basically the Hungarians are the worst of the Axis powers apart from Italy because like their special rule is their officer squads are fanatic. Ah. And it's like... It's pointless. Yeah, because the Polish have the same thing. Whereas... Three of them... And then, and then, like if 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 they die, then you're down to one man. It's like then they lose fanatic anyway. Yeah. Whereas, like you know, Bulgarians, <clears throat> the enemy can't outflank and has to always enter on their long table edge. That's amazing. Such an amazing. <laughs> That's a good rule. Um, and then you know the Finns are the Finns. Um, so yeah, uh, there's just very little, and the Romanians get a free artillery piece. Yeah. So unless you are you're wanting to play Hungarians for the historic reason of playing Hungarians, there's not you know they got the very short end of the stick um, if they weren't in the same book as the Italians. Yeah, like yeah. Oh, did you? I guess it's going to kind of jumping into hobby news, but um, but that, did you did you did you answer the survey, Tom? I did. So maybe we should. Um... That's my per- so my my total purchases. I spent twenty seven pounds. That's not. Right. Yeah, that's that's not bad, is it? Yeah, it's it's yeah. in keep. I, I don't know if we we both set a budget, did we? But I think that's, that's about fifty not... pound a month is not so bad. No, it's a cinema ticket, isn't it? Really? <laughs> you know what? That's less than the meal out. <laughs> the other day, like um. I was at home with with William, and he was like, "I want, I want to have sushi." So he ordered in sushi for us to have from um, local sushi place. I spent way more than that on takeaway sushi, so you know, not that it's not the end of the world. Hobby news. So we just mentioned it then briefly: the Warlord survey. 
Sorry, Tom, you go for it. So I, I thought it was a quite in-depth survey, asked quite a lot about you know, how you interact with the Warlord website, what you're yeah. using it for, and also, uh, I think it was, I'm going to give Warlord the benefit of the doubt here, when they sort of fully acknowledge that a lot of people who play Warlord games are model savvy, and they get the best models for what they're playing, rather than yeah. just having loyalty to, oh, this Warlord, if Warlord make the model, I'm automatically getting it from Warlord. Yeah, because that, that was one of the questions, and I, I totally was like, no, I do not care if I get, if it's official Warlord model, that is not a priority for me in the slightest. Sorry, Warlord. I mean, if they make the model and it's good, I'll get it, but if they, you know, if someone else makes a nicer model, then I'm going to go to them. Yeah, and I think the best will in the world towards Warlord. And I really, I do quite like Warlord as a company. I think they're pretty decent. Oh, yeah, we, oh, I love Warlord. But if somebody else makes a tank, I'm probably going to get the tank from somewhere else um, because I'm not a huge fan yeah. of a lot of the Warlord tanks, um, especially the resin and metal ones because they're just... I don't like resin and metal tanks. Yeah. Sh- short and simple. Yeah. And yeah. I think they're, they're just not brilliant. I, I think it's not a dig on Warlord's part. I think there are, are not, you know, a lot of the Forge World stuff, the, the resin Forge World tanks are quite iffy and they are, you know, two or three times the price of Warlord well, resin yeah, stuff. Forge World tanks, like, they used to be the pinnacle, didn't it? Of like, of hobby was like, it's a Forge World model. Oh, nice. It's going to be... Yeah, and I think the quality of modern plastics is just so much better than cast resin these days. Oh, it's... yeah, yeah. yeah, Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've... we don't need to go into detail about how good the plastics that GW are putting out Citadel are making these days. I mean, you just have to go on the internet to, and um, I think all our listeners at home will be able to um, you know, agree with us that they make the best-looking models out there. Uh, yeah, but, pricing, but in, or you know, and, and not necessarily what you want for World War Two. No, but also even like like I've never seen a resin World War Two tank that looks as nice as a well built Rubicon kit. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Like there, there are some that come very close, but the ones that come very close, or or, or possibly could. You know, pip it a little bit. I'll like, you know, some of the trench work stuff, but they're 30, 40 quid. Whereas you're talking about a Rubicon kit, which is, you know, 18, 19 pounds. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed those Rubicon kits I built. I was a bit scared. And then once I started building them, I was like, this is just so nice the way it all fits together. I'm not fighting the tracks to go together. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at you, the Hetzer. <laughs> and, and then, um, yeah. and then with World War Two stuff, you know, or or with any historical stuff, if you make the jump up in scale to using one forty eight vehicles, then you've got the scale model kits available, mm-hmm. and then you are just in a different world of model quality. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've I've got a variety of one forty eight tanks, and they are just 
gorgeous. Some of them are, are a bit too spindly for gaming, because you know, like, right, these aerials are going to snap off. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can think, well, I could replace those with bits of wire, make them a bit more sturdy, maybe yeah. weight them a little bit, but just fantastic. And I think this survey from Warlord, I, I think it sort of acknowledges that, and I, I think it's it's probably a good thing yeah. of the ethos that you know they they know that they can then be going to make game they make games for people who aren't just going to buy the new things. So oh, we're going to bring out a supplement for something that only we can make, and you now yeah. need. I mean, they have games of Antares, don't they? You know, so that is something that they actually own the IP for, um, and they do Doctor Who as well, but that's uh, on license. Yeah, with historical games, everyone has the everyone can make it. Anyone and everyone can make it. You don't own the right to the shape of a Sherman tank. No. No, that's the thing I really like and I think is one of the main draws for me for historical gaming is that fact that you know nobody can copyright a Sherman tank. And so anybody who makes a Sherman it's it's always a competition of who makes the best Sherman or the Sherman for a price that you want. You know, you go online right now. You can pay eight nine pounds for a three D printed Sherman that looks yeah. slightly like it's carved out of a potato, or you can pay fifty quid for an amazingly detailed one. It's well, what that's suits... also what you're going to do with it if you just want to have a burnt out Sherman and some scenery. Yeah, well, a potato one is fine. Yeah. yeah, but also the other appeal is that once you've got that Sherman, you've got Sherman forever. It yeah. isn't going to be in three years' time. They're not going to like a World War Two games. Not can't, isn't going to come out that suddenly says, "Yeah, Shermans now have anti gravity tracks, and so any of those which have got normal tracks are no longer usable because yeah. they all now fly." That yeah. isn't going. So you have an evergreen army. The rules can change, and like how the thing interacts on the table can change, mm-hmm. but the actual models themselves, you just change. Yeah, because if you're playing bolt action, and then you go, actually, I want to change, I'm going to play Chain of Command. Or yeah. I'm going to play Water Tanker, or any other game that you, you want to play that uses World War II. You, know, you don't have to change the army, you can change the rule set. Yeah, and I think the, the only things that change, really, in generationally, I think, is scale. Mm-hmm. I think there is, like, we both play... World War Two mostly in twenty eight mil. Yeah, I think if we went back twenty five years, most people probably played it in fifteen mil. Yeah, I, and I think you know if we go forward twenty five years, who knows what scale it will be? What people play, it. and you know, people people still play it in fifteen, twenty, ten, six, whatever. But I think mass playing at the moment, it's still twenty eight mil. Yeah. So, so you have the survey. Yeah, so sorry, this is a, a big tangent about the survey. Oh, no, I, I think it's good there, Tom. I think you made a good point there. That, you know, they, they have realised that, you know, they don't have a monopoly on World War Two models. You know, anyone can make it, and they've realised that in the survey. Um, I was kind of interested when they said, there was a section that said, what rules would you change in bolt action? Yeah. Do you see that bit? Uh, and I, I, I said, obviously, the Italians... <laughs> Because it's like, come on, guys. But I mentioned, I thought I uh, just just let me tell you what I said. I said that I'd make um, uh, medium machine guns better. 
I'd have them giving out maybe more pins. I would make snipers um, less, less, well, I don't want to say less efficient, but I'd take out their exceptional damage and replace it just, with, again, with more pins. Um, so maybe that would stop them taking out weapons teams so easily. I'd have a look at Tiger Fear because they keep changing it, but they've not got it right yet. You might just want to just rejiggle the price of the big cats altogether and just, just take the rule out or something. I don't know. Um, and have a look at the Germans in general. And Italians, just get the Italian rules sorted because at the moment I'm, I'm, I'm not a super competitive player, but I don't want a rule like that to stop me enjoying playing the game. Um, I've played Italians. I've got an Italian army. And I haven't got, I haven't played the Western Desert Italians. I've played standard Italy and the Axis mm -hmm. book Italians. And it is playing in hard mode. Uh, there's no way around it. You know, the, the tank op, the options that you've got in the book aren't brilliant. Um, there are some good things, there are some bad things. But you have to play, you have to build an army to counter the inherent weaknesses in the army yeah. list, in the specials. And I think we're going to talk about this more in the segment, again, about the morality of playing historical games. It's I think it's wrong that the Italians are the only nation with negative rules. Um, I, that, that would be the big thing I would change. Uh, I would change Tiger Fair as well. I would, leave, I would revert it to how it used to be. You know, take the order test to fire on the thing. I would simply take tiger fear off of the panzer four because that was the yeah. difference you know everybody took the panzer four because you got a quite good rule for at least a hundred points cheaper than in any other tank well the 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 big german i think it's maybe all the big tanks are just overpriced for the game well i think the definitely and i i think something like the tiger two yeah. It's only priced at 666 points for the gimmick of it being 666 points. Yeah. Um, like any big tank, like bolt action is an infantry game. And so the big tanks are never points effective. You know, you will get more use probably out of, you would definitely get more use out of two Panzer ones than you probably would a Tiger. Yeah. Um, but... So they're always they're always going to be different, and they're not competitive, but they are far too expensive. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, medium machine guns shouldn't be the most useless unit in the game. Um, it, when you can buy for less points, like a vehicle-mounted medium machine gun, so then it's like it goes up to like soft skin, so it's six to wound. It's more manoeuvrable, and it's cheaper points. You're like, why the heck would I buy a machine gun team? What? Who pointed this thing? Yeah, you know? I think... And how I would... I think you also hit the thing on that. Like, snipers are debatably good or bad. Um, mm. Like, some people always take them. Some people never take them. Yeah. I think if you got rid of the fact that they are able to delete weapon teams... Yeah. I think that would be a really good way of, of in some way, balancing them. Yeah. Say, so, right... Because they, they are still really good at taking out, like, NCOs, HQs. The, you know, if you've got that engineer squad, 
you hit them with the sniper, you can take out the flamethrower. That yeah. sort of stuff is is where a sniper is. I think is really good. It, you know, having the sniper hit one member of a mortal crew and the whole mortal crew evaporates. Yeah, I think not so great. The same as the medium machine gun team. You know, they hit the medium machine gun team. The whole medium machine gun team evaporates. And that, that's the other thing because you uh, medium machine guns aren't that good, and people take snipers. It makes it even more of a reason not to take a medium machine gun. Yeah, like if, if if you've got a sniper and you see your opponent's got a medium machine gun, in a way you're going right on a four up. I've lost. I've, I'm fifty points up because yeah. very few people take a veteran medium machine gun. Um, I can't imagine the madness. Like, medium machine guns teams can work if you take more than one of them, because they are good at putting out pins. Yeah. Um, and, like, in fact, the army that we're going to talk about in the main segment today, I'm taking a medium machine gun team. Um, Wild. But they should be a more effective... I think, historically, they were a really effective weapon at putting pins, yeah. that, like, you know... S- suppressing units and they don't do that in the game yeah that's right i mean i play american so i can take like three medium machine gun teams and i would love to do that i have them painted they're ready to go and yeah i I may do just for fun because i'm not super competitive but it's just i just know they're not very good and it's hard i find it hard to take things that i know aren't good i want every option to be viable yeah i think like a rule like a a, a dual change of they don't evaporate if get hit, killed if one of them gets killed by a sniper, and something like they do an automatic D two pins to anything that they shoot at. Yeah. So then, like in theory, they could then lock down a unit with pins. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. And like if they did that, you could maybe make them a little bit more expensive. Um. Or just see, you know, they automatically do a pin on a unit. I think if you did automatically did two pins. They might be too good at locking down a unit, um, mm-hmm. but they automatically do a pen for whatever they shoot at, regardless of if they fought, do a casualty or not. Yeah, um, that would be good. But yeah. back, back sorry. to the sorry, back to the survey. Yeah, I think it's it's really good. I think to see these big companies actually put the time and the money in to doing these like useful surveys and actually getting useful feedback from mm-hmm. them. Because I think like maybe even last podcast or the one before that, where we were talking about the war games, Atlantic poll. And I think that one in a way sort of, I think while good to get the community involved in what you want model making and that sort of thing. I think also, you know, it lent to the fact that their next kit's going to be Landerstech ogres, which nobody really wants like everybody goes yay woo, we want these but uh, i think it's you know it's in the world of boat you boat face when you ask the internet its opinion on something or our english civil war true <laughs> no no one wanted english civil war it was everyone's second choice yeah whereas i think this the warlord survey there it was a detailed and from what i know about surveys you know 25 in-depth questions it's going to have given them a decent pool yeah like a, a decent player pool and say right actually what do people want you know do people want 
you know, more of actually what they're playing, or do they want more ship games that people necessarily aren't maybe playing as much? Um, maybe we're just not releasing enough ship games. Though. Maybe that's the problem. Yeah, or, or, or shall we like, actually support some of the games that we put out, or shall we just keep releasing a new game every few months and then sort of leave it in the wild? Because um, they asked about what people would like to see in their in their epic scale. I mean, why they just epic scale as the name is beyond me when everyone knows epic scale is six mil. Uh, <laughs> um, but they actually asked in the survey, like, where do you want to see us fighting next epic scale? And I said English Civil War and Napoleonics, which I think is probably what most people said. Um, definitely Napoleonics. But, um, you know, they're asking, what do you want? Which is really nice and refreshing, rather than having them say, we think you'd like another boat game. Yeah. Well, you know, here's SPQR version 3. Um, yeah. So that's... Good to speak. You are. We all make mistakes. <laughs> so that was the Warlord Games survey, and you also got the chance to win 150 quid's worth of gear. Oh, yeah, that'd be very nice. Thank you very much. I'd like that. As unlike so... as it is, you got to be in it to win it, guys. So yeah, go and do the survey. Give your opinion. <laughs> We should probably put a link to it on, on the Facebook page, Tom, or something, shouldn't we? That's a good idea. Um, then, forget. No, then a uh, couple of bits of more Warlord news, really. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, uh, I don't know if you've seen that they have the, the new commandos are out. You know, the British and inter-allied commando box of troops is out to pre-order. Yep. And they've done a starter army like pre-order bundle. Oh, what's in that? It, you get 60 of the plastic commandos, mm-hmm. two metal officers, a metal medic, a radio operator slash spotter, a medium mortar team, and a medium machine gun team. Yep. And you get that for £75. Because it's mostly going to be, um, correct me if I'm wrong, commandos. It's just, they just ran in, didn't they? They got off a boat or canoed in or whatever it was and just ran in. Uh, did what they did, like raids, and then left. Yeah. Um, you're not have tanks, you're not going to have artillery. It's just going to be even more so than with like the airborne. It's going to be just guys on the boots on the ground. Yeah, because like with the airborne, you you have things like cut down howitzers, Webley bikes, jeeps, tesseract. Well, not tesseract. What's it called? That little um, tetriarch. Like, that's the one. Um, I'm getting all Necron here. They got Tesseract <laughs> Vault. Jeez. <laughs> no wonder we won. <laughs> um, no, I, I I would say this is a really good deal. Um, mm. Because especially with having 60 of the plastic dudes, yep. you're going to have enough bodies to make so many options that oh, you yeah. can play around. Because you're never going to play with 60 veterans in one list. But you might say, right, what do I, what would four squads with SMGs be like? Or what would four rifle squads be like? And you're going to have enough mod, you're going to have enough bodies to build them up and, and use them and, and play around with them. Do you get a plastic, do you get a Piat on the plastic sprue? I believe you do. Oh, you don't want to miss out on those Piats, do you? 
I mean, that's yeah. your tank. I mean, I joke, we joke about Piat's being not very good, but actually, that's your tank killing right there. It's your Piat. Yeah. I'd rather have a bazooka, obviously, but if not, Piat. Yeah, I, I think maybe with like the rules, as we sort of chain, talk about rules and that sort of thing, Piat's could be something that could be less pathetic. Because, um, yeah, they yeah. had a lot less range than a bazooka and that sort of stuff. But they did have some advantages. You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to um, go off topic here. But as, as you know, I like to stay very much focused on the topic at hand. But one of the single most important shots of World War Two was fired by um, a para, Operation Deadstick, a PS shot at Pegasus Bridge. Could have swung the war that completely in direction if he'd missed. I can't remember who it was now. I know the, the listeners at home are shouting his name at me right now. But the fella who, who shot that first lead tank with a Piat at Pegasus Bridge. Well, in, in the Market Garden book, there is one of the special characters who is, um, you know, super Piat guy. Yeah. Uh, he might be a major, who also comes with a Piat. Um, I'm afraid I'm awful at remembering names. And I, I never have played with any of the special characters. But I'm pretty sure it's someone with a Piat who hits on a two or something like yeah. that. Um, no, but and this is seventy-five pounds. Yeah, this this is seventy-five pounds for basically easily an army and a half's worth of miniatures, um, and you know you could do anything with these. You know they could be British commandos, they could be you know, Jewish brigade commandos, mm-hmm. anything that you imagine you wanted to do, sort of nineteen forty-four onwards, really. You can even forty three. I think you probably go away with them, yeah. and it's everything that you need to play, and you know, good stuff, really. Um, I mean, I'd like a commando army, um, obviously. Same here. Like, what makes me slightly reticent to get jump in and get one? I'm not going to buy one at the minute because I've got so much stuff. Yeah, but I've got the LRDG SAS army, which mm-hmm. plays very similar. Yeah, and I don't have an airborne army either. And I think possibly yeah. I'd get an airborne army before I got another commando army. Yeah, I think I'm I am at some point gonna do paras. It's gonna happen. It just hasn't happened yet. And I think I'd do that that army first. But there is a new game coming out that's in the works, which is a uh, much smaller scale it's not a warlord game, it's a much smaller scale commando raid style game. Mm-hmm. Which is much more based around that idea, you know, half a dozen guys in canoes paddling up a river to knock out a radar station, sort of a thing. And yeah. yeah, that would be perfect for picking up a new box of these plastic commandos for because the newer Warlord plastic kits are brilliant. There's no way around them. They are fantastic models for building toy soldiers with. You know, they're detailed, they're well proportioned, they look cool, and they they strike that perfect balance between they're not quite a hundred percent the correct scale, but things mm-hmm. things like having slightly chunkier rifles and bayonets and things like yes. that stop them bending if you like look at them wrong. And if you did, if you actually did a pistol like a, a pistol, imagine an automatic pistol in someone's hand. It would be such a tiny little bit 
they were holding that you'd see. Yeah. You would hardly see the weapon at all. I mean, you make it slightly bigger. I'm not saying it has to be the size of sort of ridiculous 90 W Digger Knob style hand cannons or something, <laughs> but you know, that I think they get the proportions right somewhere between realistic and you know, a good playing piece. We're like, oh, I can see what they're holding. I can see from here that guy has a Piat. Yeah. Or that guy has a, a revolver or whatever it is. And like, we're, we're talking about like fractions of a millimeter. Yeah. We, we're not talking about like, oh, that rifle's like the right, the barrel on that rifle is the diameter of a brush handle. We're talking about like just like a fraction of a millimeter that just makes them not as brittle. Yeah. Because we all have to transport our models. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And it's, uh, I think, a fantastic example of the difference between gamer scale and scale modeling scale is the Rubricon Quad AA kit, mm-hmm. which comes with two sets of barrels. It, it has yeah. four barrels, but it has two sets. You can choose the scale set or the gamer set. And to look at them on the, te- like, if you just cut the two barrels out, you can't really tell that much difference between the two. But when you actually sort of pick them up, the gamer set, you like, you put them between your fingers. You can't bend them. You yeah. put the scale set. You give them a squeeze between your fingers, and they snap. Yeah. Um, and it is like you know, one's probably points. These numbers are completely made up now because I haven't got digital calipers, but they're probably like point three of a mil thick, and the gamer ones are like half a mil thick. That difference is all the difference in the world for a toy. Oh yeah. If it's like twice as thick, then it's you know, twice as strong. You'd hope makes yeah. a big difference. And then the other bit of uh, model news, really, from Warlord, is that they are releasing a late war five and a half inch howitzer oh. for the British. Oh, um, which is a pretty big deal if you are a British player who plays like mid-war onwards. Mm-hmm. In that the artillery options for the models that you can buy for the British artillery are very limited. Mm-hmm. Everybody and their uncle makes a 25 pounder. Like medium and heavy howitzers are incredibly hard to get hold of. Uh, Perry do make a five and a half inch one, but it's in their desert range. And right. so the crew are in desert stuff and Mad Bob has made, for donks of years, the Long Tom, yep. which is the American heavy outer that the British did use. So and this also is... a dancing name. <laughs> so this is like a cool option that's now going to be available for everybody who wants, uh, you know, a late war howitzer for the British that's actually not an American loaned piece or something from the Western Desert. Well, that's really good news. Um, I mean, I need to start my Canadian long list of armies that Andrew will one day start. Um, my Canadians at some point, because William wants to do Canadians. He wants me to have a Canadian army. Uh, I haven't got a British army, so Canadians is fine. Um, so I guess they would be using a howitzer. And you got to have a howitzer, Tom. You do have to have a howitzer. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, 18 quid comes with the crew. Away you go. Away you go. Perfect. I, I think you could. I think you'd have to be a bit of a pedant to a moan that if it was a medium or a heavy howitzer. I think 
you know, I would happily play against somebody who said it was either simply because how hard it is to get the models. Yeah, you know what? I, I, people will mind. I think you're right that you'd have to be a pedant, but people would mind. Uh, <laughs> well, if, if they just moan, just they say it's okay. They... I guarantee you, Tom. And they're right now listening like, oh, can't believe Tom said that. Outrageous. Well, Outrageous. I think maybe if you're taking it as something that it isn't, and you're also taking a, a naval or artillery observer, then they might have some justification to... Oh, the old naval artillery observer. I don't know what the rules are, but I have heard enough podcasts tell me that they are horrible. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's one of those rules which makes people... I think that and the Western Desert book, which, like, I think broke the camel's back for allowing everything in tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um... Because they're just... Why wouldn't you take them? <laughs> um, yeah, I want to take the, the Schutzen squad, over they're called, for the Western Desert, where I can have, like, two uh, two LMGs in every squad. You get one for free and you buy one. Then you're laying, like, 12 shots yeah. down or something ridiculous. Yeah, or, like, the, uh, like the rules as written, Indian rules, where you get, like, the, you get all the British rules... Plus the free squad, um, and like I, I've played when I we went to the Warlord GT. Yeah, I played somebody who had a uh, a Western Desert armored platoon using the Indian rules. So they had like four squads of infantry rather than the normal tank wars three. Yeah, pl- plus the free artillery observer. You know, and it was just. So you've basically just taken this, so you get like an extra 100 points of free stuff on top of everything you already get. Choose one or the other. Don't, yeah. be, don't be that guy. Yeah. But, you know, I'll get off my high horse now. I was playing, you know, communist Chinese at that event, so I was also that guy. Um, so that's Warlord news. And then the only other bit of hobby news I have, really, is a new game that's come out which I like the look of, called Rain in Hell, which is a... Is it meteorologically based? Is it all about rain (laughs) in Hull? Typo, it's rain in Hull. It's about the weather systems around Hull and Hull-adjacent towns. No? It's uh, advertised as a fast, brutal, demonic skirmish combat game. Uh... That is basically about, you know, fighting demon battles in hell with your collection of demons and gribblies. I, I think we would be amiss not to mention it's um, Adam from uh, Tabletop Minions, a uh, small YouTube channel he may have heard of before. <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty famous guy, isn't he, T- uh, Tabletop Minions? Um, yeah. Well, and I would recommend you go and check out. He does a, a fortnightly... Um, live show, and then he does every other week. He does an ordinary, just a pre-recorded thing. We talks about things in the hobby. So I would, I would check that. And it's Vince Vincella is the other guy, isn't it? And he's pretty famous as well. But I don't know him as well as Adam. So it's like a Rain in Hell is a sort of a skirmish game with a quite an in-depth campaign system where you get to sort of build your cabal um, as you go along. Obviously, it's not mini specific. It's whatever demons you've got. So, you know, 
if you've played 40k or fantasy and you've got those bloodthirsters or whatever knocking about you can perfectly use those and it, nor is it really expensive you know you can pick up the pdf for war games vault for ten dollars or yeah. you can get pdf and the printed book for 15 now i did actually go to buy the book and the i wanted to buy a hard copy um because i thought for, for an extra, yeah. i thought for an extra five dollars it's not worth me printing and binding it for that it's just easy to get the, the printed copy but you can't actually buy the printed copy at the moment because they have pulled it while they make a few alterations as all right but it will be back on sale the printed copy any day now and i will probably pick up a copy because i quite like the idea of in the future building up a small demon warband of probably minis i've already got and just adding the odd few more than i need and i think it could be a fun little modeling project to model up like a band of random gribblies that sounds fun i mean i i did look at it and i was i was tempted to get it myself um it's not expensive you know i like to support independent um gamers people producing independent games obviously they're very tempted to get it but then i looked at all the stuff I have got over the last year, I have so many games that I want to play already that it's just kind of adding to the pile of things. And I think I need to go through and be really brutally honest with myself for what I have got already. And am I going to play this game? I've got loads of Field of Glory supplements. How many times have you played Field of Glory, Tom? Never. Never. Because I got in the habit of just picking up the books. I'm like, am I ever actually going to play this? Are we ever actually going to play this? I'd love to give it a go. But it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, I always pick up this book about uh, South American <laughs> ancient, uh, you know, tribes. Uh, and I'll, I'll learn about this between the Incas and the Aztecs and all this kind of stuff. Um, or maybe I'm going to get, you know, a. Um, a book about you know the crusades for 10 mil guys you know but I've, I've, I've been picking up different games is the point tom i'm picking up different games and different books and, and i, I want to play them and i just thought if i buy this now how long is it going to be till i play it tom well i guess if you really really want to play it not very long at all because you'll talk me into it well, that, not... i i think that is what you just said there though about like buying it when are we going to play it i think it is a really good thing to have in mind because like if i buy it I'm, I'm i will buy it but i'm not intending to actually buy any gribblies to play it this yeah. year um and i do slightly unfortunately seem to collect rule sets yeah. um but they are for things that i do see myself playing at some point yeah and I'm trying to hone my collection a little bit for it to be more, I can play this with what I've got, or I need very little to add to playing it. So, for example, like, I don't have a Crusades army, mm -hmm. whereas if I picked up a Crusades army, it would be like, right, I now need at least one, possibly two armies to play this 
because yeah. I have I have nothing that can play it, um, and I'm much more drawn to skirmish games nowadays that or stuff in six mil, yeah. and like I could well see my I, I would possibly buy a skirm like a, a crusades game if I feel like playing crusades in six mil, but that would be much. I don't think that would be thing I'd have to make the decision to play by rather than like, a, oh, this looks cool. I'm going to go this because it's much more of a commitment and go, right, I'm going to do two armies, paint them up, get the rules to play them. That's a much more time commitment than going, I can build a dozen of these guys. Yeah, I mean, and definitely like a skirmish game. It's just such a lower entry point and you can test it out. And then you go like, this isn't for me. Where you got 12 random demons. Yeah. Like, oh no, well I do. Yeah, um, and like going, I'm going to do hundred years of war in ten mil. Doing two armies for that is that's a year long project, you know. Yeah, you and, almost want to play the game first, see if you like it before you decide you're going to do it. Unless it's a passion project where you just love those armies, the look of them, and want to be like, oh, well, I love this particular battle. Let's make let's make that happen. I think there's definitely room for that in the hobby. Like, I know with me, there are some things where I see models as like, those are such cool models. I want them, even though I don't necessarily have a game specifically in mind to play them. Yeah. I think like, a good example for me for that would be the Ragnarok, like, Norse Dark Dwarves. They yeah. are like a different take. They, they aren't the traditional type of chaos dwarves. So mm-hmm. They're not the Obsidian style beards, pointy hat dwarves. They're just like a different kind of chaotic dwarf. I, I, bought, I backed those because I will use them for whatever. They're really cool, I think. Hobby Support Group brought to you by Chaos Dwarves. <laughs> I think there are, as you said, there are other things where it's like, this is a period I really like. You know, if you're somebody who's really into the Hundred Years' War or the Thirty Years' War or something, and a Thirty Years' War game comes out, you go, right, I really want that because this is a period I'm really interested in. Mm-hmm. I know we have, you know, some mutual friends who are like really into the Spanish Civil War. If a new major publisher-backed Spanish Civil War game came out, they may well be wanting people to pick that up so they can all play it. We can yeah. all play that together. And I think Thirdly, there's also sometimes where like you know, a game comes out either by a company or an individual that you really like that you want to back because you like them as an individual or a company. Yeah. Yes. And you go, I'm now going to give them the benefit of the doubt because I like them yep. rather than this game itself is actually really jumping out and go, oh, this is something I really want to play. Mm-hmm. I'm giving them the benefit of that. And I think for me, an, an example for that for me would be something like Stargrave. Yes. Like, what really sold me on Stargrave was it's Frostgrave in space. Yeah, you knew it was Joe. There's a level of trust there. Like, I've, I've got Oathmark. I've got, I know, I've not played it, but I know Rangers of Shadowdeep. It's a very good game of people who play at the club. I've played a lot of Frostgrave. I was like, I instantly felt reassured. I knew I could trust that there was going to be a good product. And it is. Yeah. I've got it. It's brilliant. Yeah. Whereas if somebody just said, it's like it's a skirmish game in space. It's not Space Hulk, but you're sort of on Space Hulky kind of things. I'd have been a bit more reticent to sort of 
jump into sci-fi gaming again. It's not that there's a dearth. We're not running out of sci-fi skirmish games out there. No. <laughs> not like, oh no, there's no more sci-fi skirmish games. What are we going to do? You know, um, there's loads of them. There's nine editions of 40k you can play. Yeah, you know, the, and like Necromunda's just getting a new starter set coming out, so all these yeah. sort of things. We go if if you wanted to play a skirmish sci-fi game where you've got like a gang and a leader or kill team. Yeah, like like I, I, let's not list skirmish games. I play yeah. skirmish games at this point. Yeah, but there's loads of them, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Um, yeah, so that's really a, a rather truncated hobby news today of just. Warlord and Rain in Hell. I don't know if you've got any other bits, Andy? Uh, no, no, not really. I mean, it, you mentioned Spanish Civil War. I do think it's only a matter of time before Bolt Action brings out a supplement for that. I'm, would, I, I would like to think so. Be, and there are some really nice minis already yeah. available for it. You know, Empress do a whole range of them. Um, Cause it's, I, it, it really is, you know, the, the, the Germans were involved. You know, it's like the whole range of German models already to go um it just seems like an obvious you know maybe they're saving that for when they feel they're getting to the end of other supplements but um they did korea didn't they um they did korea and they are there is persistent rumors of the indo-pakistan war um and i know that that could be more because the guy who owns warlord is is playing it and yeah, he's building armies from the Warlord kits to play right. himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think there are a number of things. You, know, you could have, like, the Yom Kippur War, Six Day War, all these sorts oh, yeah. of things, which use a lot of the late war kits. Um, yeah. You know, you have things like, you know, Shermans versus Panzer Fours in the desert. That's it. The older tanks were used. I mean, they're around today in some places, aren't they? Um, so, yeah, okay. this might take us into, we start talking about more modern conflicts, this might take us into our next subject on the, um, the listener questions. So. Yes, yeah, so shall we move into listener questions? I think so, Tom, let's go. Listener questions. Today's listener question is from the Facebook group, Hobby Support Group, and it's posted by Benjamin. Is playing historical war games moral? And he has, asks a few follow-up points to this. These are games that are based on conflicts in which real people really fought and really died, slash received life-changing injuries, committed atrocities, etc. Is it okay then to make this into what is, after all, entertainment? Secondly, many historical conflicts, particularly those in the colonial era, are prededicated on the basis that one race is superior to the other. Does this make these particular conflicts more problematic to game than others? In other words, if I play a game with British Empire troops and the native peoples they are colonising, am I racist? Thirdly, how historical is historical, and does historical gaming ever get morally too close for comfort? In other words, I feel far less comfortable with the idea of wargaming Afghanistan in 2014 AD than I do with wargaming Kanai in 216 BC. You know, nice easy question for us. Well, I mean, it's nice to start the easy ones, isn't it? And thanks, Benjamin. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll start 
this ball rolling by saying there was, as there was a question on Reddit, someone asked, um, "When does when does grave robbing become archaeology?" And an archaeologist came on and said, um, "I find this question more disturbing than perhaps I should, but the answer is about four hundred years." Um, yeah, I don't. You know, we sp- we talk about feeling um, uncomfortable playing more modern games or with armies that, you know, bad guy armies, should we say. Um, but then we're fine to do, oh, well, we can play Greece, that's fine. Spartans versus, you know, Athenians, that's fine. Well, the Spartans were fascists who kept, you know, authoritarians who kept slaves. But we're just not as familiar with that. Um, so I think, you know, um, there's a familiarity with the time period. And I think the further you get away from it, the more distant you are from it, the more comfortable you probably are playing it. Do you think that's, that's right, Tom? I think there is, is definitely, definitely a huge difference between playing a conflict that is within living memory and one that is out of living memory. And also one that is within cultural memory and not... Like I think World War One is now no longer in living memory. Yeah. And World War Two is on the very cusp of no longer being in living memory. Yeah. Um so we were just briefly talking about the Spanish Civil War before we jumped into this segment. And last week the last veteran of the International Brigades died. Mm-hmm. So now, sort of like the Spanish Civil War, international brigades is no longer in living memory of veterans. Yeah. Um, and I think that makes a huge difference to gaming things. And I think uh, jumping about with Benjamin's question a little bit, I do think there is a huge difference playing Afghanistan 2014 to playing, you know, something in 6 BC it's it, there there is differences there um, in my mind as a gamer but I'm not averse to playing I've never played anything ultra modern and it doesn't really appeal to me as a gamer to play something ultra modern but I wouldn't necessarily dismiss playing something ultra modern out of hand um, I think it would be a challenge for me to find a game that appealed to me to play in an ultra-modern way as a game simply because I think modern warfare doesn't necessarily lend itself to gaming as well as more historical conflicts do. I think yeah, I, I mean, for me, if I was, and I have no, I, I'm in a situation where I would have no problem playing a game set during modern times, but I would want the games to reflect the complexity of the situation itself. So if you have got a squad of troops in a modern conflict situation, I want that game to, like, like you have to get all your men off. You have to get the whole team out and, you know, you have to make, decisions about you know okay are those civilians we're being attacked by someone we don't know which group it is but we must ensure like if you take out a civilian then you just lost the game 
Yeah. That's it. Lost. I, I think you've targeted the wrong. You've targeted the wrong thing. So you're, you've instantly lost the game. And it's about like off table intel from like like an observational satellite. So, you know, I don't know how it would work uh, because I don't actually play any modern war games. But I, if I was, I would want that game to reflect the the complexity that we as you know modern people of the information era that we have available to us. If I was playing a World War One game and I was playing a squaddy in a gun over the trenches, well, it's a very simple game because I wouldn't have that much information about what's going on in the rest of the battle line, would I? But now, doing a modern game, I would, as an individual, have a better understanding of that situation. I agree with that thought. And I, I think there is, I, I would say, like, possibly from the second, after the second war, maybe Korea. I think possibly the Korean War is possibly the last war in a way where you didn't have asymmetrical warfare in the, the by the large. Whereas now this is you now military historians are now going to be screaming and shouting at me. But I think by and large the conflicts since the Korean War have been mostly you know Nation A against an insurgent army or Nation A against a resistance movement and that kind of thing, rather than the pitched battles of, you know, US Tom, versus China. Tom, I for one, I'm looking forward to seeing the list of conflicts that they're going to be posted on the Facebook group. I look forward <laughs> to seeing that. But I think I think you're right. I mean, I thought I sort of think. Where do I start to feel uncomfortable? I mean, there's, there's things in World War Two that make me feel uncomfortable. And it's kind of from World War Two, certainly sort of Vietnam onwards, where I start to think, OK, I need something more from this if you want me to play it. Yeah, I like, need a little bit more from the games designer if you want me to play this. Yeah, like I had never, into, I, I had always seen World War Two as my cutoff point. Mm -hmm. of saying, I can't see anything playing, I can't see playing any conflict post-World War II, because in my moral compass, it made it far more difficult to then start differentiating between, in the simplest terms, who are the goodies, who are the baddies. Mm -hmm. Because once you get to the 1950s, and you have all the like colonial conflicts and stuff, everybody all the Western powers are pretty vile. You know, nobody comes yeah. out of Angola, Kenya, any of those places looking anything other than, you know, they're tarred with a very similar brush than the Germans are in World War II, just to a, a slightly lesser degree, but they're, yeah. they're still playing a similar game. Um, whereas, like, as time has gone on, and this could possibly be simply from a, a, a like almost being influenced by miniatures and models. I'm now seeing more and more things for Vietnam that are making me think, hmm, I could actually possibly see myself playing a Vietnam game. Whereas if you'd have asked me 10 years ago, would I be playing a Vietnam game? I would have, you know thought you were a fool because it's just how do you 
like I couldn't have squared how do I like play the US in Vietnam without thinking right which village am I going to napalm what massacre am I performing today yeah um, whereas as I've like learned a bit more about Vietnam itself as a conflict I can see well there are some places where you could game and actually like the French Indochina war would be a really I think a really fun an interesting conflict to game um, and you could definitely have some interesting battles and campaigns set around that um, I think it would be like a much harder on a tabletop to go right how are we going to have you know some Arvin versus Viet Minh how do we work that one out I mean for me as much as I, I, I love playing all the fantasy and GW stuff, I love playing it. But for me, for historicals, part of playing is I get to learn that period. If I knew if I was playing Vietnam, I really, apart from beyond watching Platoon and some other war movies, you know, I don't know much about Vietnam. I'm really honest with you, Tom. It's not something I've gone out of my way to learn. You know, I watched Apocalypse Now. You know, I know it's horrible. Um... But that would be my in. That's how it would actually would be how I would learn about history would be from playing the game. And, you know, um, when I first started playing Bolt Action, um, it's like my first foray into historicals, I felt kind of uncomfortable. And the first army I built were my partisans. I bought. I got my Warsaw partisans, um, Warsaw uprising partisans. I, I did ordinary people defending their cities, rising up to try and beat the Germans. I was like, this is the like the most noble like army I can think to do in World War Two. It's the Warsaw uprising, um, and that kind of made me more, made me feel more, feel more comfortable about doing it. And I've got loads of armies. I even have a German army eventually, but not SS. Um, but I, I couldn't imagine like doing doing an SS army. That would just be too far for me. I'm trying to think what my limits are, Tom. What are my limits morally? I, I you know, I don't have any um, 19, you know, 1930s, 40s uh, German flags, which we say. No, it's anywhere. like I don't want that symbol anywhere on my armies. You know, I know, I know it was used then. Might be historically accurate. Just don't want it. No, it's like I, I think that's a very good point. And like the, the first bolt action army I built was at the time um, I was doing some research at, at, at a care home for veterans, and I was in the very privileged position to interview several veterans. Uh, at the time, and one of the guys who I got to know really well had been a supply driver in the Western Desert for the LRDG. And so chatting with him, you know, every day for a few months, getting to know him really well, I ended up building an army very much inspired by, like, the little stories and vignettes that this guy told me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, it, it was little bits and pieces, and, like, that was where I was, I was able to sort of, like, you know, as I started building it, I was able to like show, take him models in and I would show him and go, oh, what do you think to this? What do you think to this? And, like, you know, I remember one day when like I took the first truck I'd painted in because he, he'd been told me a story about when he'd been driving a, a water tanker. And like I, I managed to find the same model 
a model of the lorry water tanker and tuck it in. I was like, what do you think to this? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's cool, but the one I drove had been, like, painted red and we just painted on the top of it. And I was like, oh, okay. So, like, I went away, repainted it, did that. Got that army finished. I think I might have played you with it. I played yeah. one game with it. And it was awful. I absolutely hated playing with it. Because in my head, like, when that lorry got blew up, it wasn't a lorry that had blew up. Like, Nobby had got blew up. And, like... Yeah. I, I knew every person or like every I knew the story behind every unit and I, I could put a name and a face to most of them mm-hmm. and uh, even if I'd only been shown pictures of the people because you know this gentleman had like got his photographs out and showed me the people and he told me the stories and like that inspired me to build this whole army and it was awful to play with I, I've never played with it since so after that I went away and built a generic German army. Yeah. And I was like, right, what am I going to find difficult to square like when you play Germans? Because like a lot of people, I think, are reticent about playing World War Two because they think you're going to rock up and not somebody's going to bring out their like SS platoon or something like that and think, right, who is really going to be super into it? These are, you know the SS, here we go. So I thought, right, what am I going to find difficult to play with and a square in my head? Right, SS, Hitler Jugend, all these sorts of things. So I put them all in one army and got it out of the way with. Um, I now do play with a lot of SS in my armies. Um, what I don't do, and I've never done, is play specific SS units. Or specific armies um, and the simple facts for that is you research any um, SS unit you will always find that they commit at least a handful of atrocities and yeah we've talked about this before Tom you go you find a, a, a German officer or some unit you know, oh they don't seem they don't seem too bad they don't seem to oh oh no Oh no, there's this atrocity. It just it just seems like every time you find one you think it's not gonna be too bad, you find they did something absolutely horrible. Yeah, and uh, it's it's not um and like every nation in World War Two to a minor or major degree committed atrocities. It's like nobody came out of it squeaky clean really. But every SS unit committed unspeakable evil atrocities. And so I don't want to have, right, this is, you know, Urban Fuhrer so-and-so, this is this officer, this is this, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm not interested in recreating that on the tabletop historically. What I am interested in doing, and for example, a good uh, a good example of this might be my recon platoon that I built, which is historically based on, like, what's there on... June 1944, Das Reich, from when they went from the south of France trying to get to Normandy. It's based on, you know, the vehicles and the troops that they had, but it isn't Das Reich because I do not want to in any way promote the individuals of Das Reich or play them. I don't want to put myself into the mindset of, oh, I am this commander who's going to, who I know in two weeks after this battle set is going to go and wipe out a village. Um, that's how I square it. 
in my head, in the probably hundreds of games of bolt action I've now played, I have only ever come across one individual who was playing a German army, who was an SS army, who had gone to the point of you know, every person was named, every person was based on a real person, and this person, individual who was at an event was an SS fanboy. And as I said, you know, one person in hundreds of games played. Um, and they were obviously a deeply problematic person. And, yeah. Um, but I don't think that is the majority approach at all. And as a historian, I view gaming things as a really useful learning tool and it's quite often you, you can definitely use it to promote things like i in my german armies as i am predominantly a german player i like to promote the fact the truth fact that world war ii germans weren't super soldiers they weren't amazing it wasn't they didn't have the best weapons the best kit they were fantastic you know 1940 the end of 1944 1945 you've got kids and you know the last panzer jaeger is a push bike with two panzerfausts on it that's where yeah. fascism ends up you don't i think it's very easy to look at the tigers and the panthers and go this is amazing and quite glamorous it's completely different when you've got like you, know, you look at the photos of like a flag helper which are, you know you've got like 10 year olds manning guns and that sort of stuff that i think is much more in a way real than the almost like heroic stuff like you know people have heard you know like the panzer aces and that sort of a thing are you know the stuff from commando comics so that yeah different it's, it's the prop it's the propaganda from back then still being propagated today i think that it's, you it's go a, read like anthony beaver's the the fall of berlin and 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 there's, there's stuff in there about you know Officers weeping as they see like ten-year-old boys on bicycles with Panzerfausts riding out towards the Russian tanks, knowing for well that the Panzerfausts are incapable of penetrating the armor on those tanks. Yeah, it's like, like you literally send them out to die for no good reason at all. I'm it's... sorry if you're hearing this at home. Uh, it upsets me to talk about it myself, so I hope I haven't you know set you off at home. But you know, this is an aspect that happened in real life, and you know. Yeah. yeah, and I think that propaganda thing that you just mentioned there, I think is is, is my biggest bugbear with historical gaming. I think there is an awful lot of propaganda, which is, and it, it can be from the colonial era, can be from, you know, especially World War Two, that seeps into gaming. I think, you know, talking about bolt action, you know. The Italian rules in the main Italian book are based on the propagandic idea that the Italians are pathetic and they surrender at the drop of a hat. You know, you shout at them, they run away. And that is not true. You know, some Italian units surrendered, but, you know, they had no food, they had no ammunition. Other units fought to the last man. As, you know, British units surrendered, British units fought to the last man. Every army fought has examples of heroism and examples of cowardice and yet the popular western conception is 
the Italians are all cowards, and so they get a cowardly rule. Yeah. Wrong. And I think it can also seep through into miniature ranges and miniature lines. Playing, uh, I've built a Chinese army in the past. I'm currently building a Japanese army. I think there is an awful lot of the sculpting that goes into these ranges verges on what I would charitably call the pulpish end of the market. I think some of it verges into blatant racist stereotyping. I think the amount of oriental faces you find with glasses and buck teeth is far more than you you would expect and it it is quite unfortunate. And I know when I built the communist Chinese army, I ended up having to green stuff some of the models because I was uncomfortable with putting them on the table because they were straight out of a 1930s movie poster of this is somebody dressed up in makeup to make them appear oriental and you know othered and it, it just sent wrong and sat wrongly with me um so i guess is it is it moral i i think if you are coming at historicals from um i'm looking to have a fun game that um, educates me that I learn about the conflict, that I understand that it's a complex situation. It's not black and white, you know. The British are coming in and they're, you know, the shining knights that are rescuing Europe from, you know, these evil Germans. I mean, that's, you know, and the Russians, you know, it, it I, I think it's fine. I, I separate the game from reality. It's a game, it's not reality. Uh, oh, yeah. two separate things um, I enjoy playing the game I'm learning about history I think that's fine but you should never let it cloud the reality of what war actually is which is horrific um, because your guys are all set up at the end of the game you pick them up you put them in the box they're ready for next time that just doesn't happen in real life no and I, I think there is we've talked about it before there is it isn't real like what we're, we we aren't playing real war. What we are playing is an abstraction. Things and those abstractions are things as simple as if you're fighting on Pegasus Bridge, you can't shoot from one end of it to the other end with your weapons for uh, because of the rules of how weapon ranges work in a game. That's you know there are very few games that. I can't even think of a game on the top of my head that like tackles things like asymmetrical warfare, like you know things yeah. like civilians, you know things like logistics, things like morale. Um, yeah. And I think if a game was to, there is a uh, there is a game that does deal with civilians. It's Freikorps versus Spartacists. It's like a world. It's a German revolution game, and the idea is if the Freikorps kill too many civilians, then like a mob rises and reinforces the Spartacists. Yeah. Um, but that's more. That's inspired more the fact that like, in the German revolution, the Spartacists might seize a like newspaper office or something like that. So the Freikorps would just destroy the entire city block where the newspaper yeah. artists the newspaper office was but i you know 
if you're fighting, uh, you know, a game, just as you're fighting a World War Two game set in Berlin, you've got your two forces there. You haven't got any civilians. You haven't got, yeah, you know, people committing. A, you know, you haven't got all oh, this unit here. It's no longer active this turn because they're committing an atrocity on this bunch of civilians. And I think if you had a game that modelled that kind of a thing, I think you're then going into the realm of real war games, which are, despite the name, are are real and they have all that horrificness in and then are not enjoyable, are not fun... And aren't pen, aren't played for entertainment and re, uh, relaxation. They are played for learning. And like the point of it, if you're a commander, to give a commander experience. Right, if you're using a civilian army and they all get drunk or they all go and commit atrocities against a civilian population, how do you restore order to them? Yeah. That is applicable information for military commanders not for me on a wednesday night down the club um, it, tom that it, it, it reminds me i do a talk um at work on um on d-day uh, um the d-day um landings and, and ensuing battle there and what a question i ask people during the talk they tell us they which nation which nationality suffered the highest casualty um, numbers on the day and people are like, oh, it must have been the Germans, it must have been the Americans. And I, I think only one time has someone ever actually got it right. It was the French. It was the French civilians in those towns. You know, on they all got, well, blown up because the, the proprietary bombardment from before the landing started. And they, they couldn't warn those civilians that they were coming because otherwise the Germans could have found out they were coming and the battle could have been lost. I mean, it's a terrible decision for any officer to have to make to say, I'm just going to have to wipe out all these civilians to ensure that this landing successful so that we can retake Europe, you know. Um, and that does not, that has never entered into any game of Normandy uh, game that I have ever played. No, and I think, but it also... Sorry this episode is so dark, everyone. <laughs> I will try to come up with less historical examples of horrible things in the future. But I think this is, I think that also though fits into the, the narrative though of, of what people are told. And I think, I think it's very interesting and something to be noted how popular culture has changed this. Like we both would have grown up in an era where on a Saturday afternoon, there was a World War Two movie on the TV. Oh, absolutely! Which, I loved what I loved, like Dirty Dozen. You name it, love it. Yeah, and they were always, you know, literally the the larger than life, literally whiter than white heroes, punching and shooting the baddies, and they were being made. I would say well into the seventies, mm-hmm. and then we had Vietnam, and then as I was in my early teens started watching the Vietnam movies and no one comes out looking heroic in a Vietnam movie. Yeah. I, I very, and I, you've mentioned this now you mentioned I very, I have very specific memories of going like sitting down to watch platoon 
and thinking it was going to be like a World War II movie and being like, I'm not enjoying this. This is not what I expected. No. I have so many questions now yeah. <laughs> about war. Before it was like, oh my, I was like, oh my gosh, this is awful. Yeah, like you, you don't watch something like, you know, Platoon, Deer Hunter, Hamburger Hill. Yeah. You don't watch those movies for like a lark and a jape like you watch some of the World War Two movies. And I think even the, the, the more modern conflicts, likewise, don't have, they have, like, there, there aren't very few, like, I don't, can't think of a Falklands movie off the top of my head. Oh, um, there was one starring, hang on, what's his name? He was, it was Mr. Darcy, what's his name? It's called, like, Tumble Down or something? And he plays a soldier that he's in the Falklands and he takes a head wound and then it's all about his rehabilitation. So, it's, again, it's not a cheery, like, war movie, but it's it's about him. If you remember who played Mr. Darcy, please let me know in the, in the Facebook on the Facebook page. What was his name? And then... Colin Firth. Yes. And then, uh, like, The War on Terror. Again, there are a few movies which try to make it appear less horrific than it really was. But I think, like, most of the... Like, I think one of the best movies I've seen in Afghanistan, set in Afghanistan, was about, like, a, a British squad who gets stuck in a minefield. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, they're just stuck in a Soviet minefield and they have to get rescued while being periodically blown up. It's awful. Um, so I think that plays a big part into how we process and acknowledge the games that we're playing yeah um and i think it's the same as world war one like i everybody seems to be under the impression that world war one was just the trenches just mud and they like people might if they know a little bit about it know about gallipoli but almost nobody knows about like the war in palestine and the middle Mm -hmm. east and, you know, the the hundreds of thousands of people who died in those conflicts. And well, the last person to die in World War One died in, was in North Africa? Or yeah. North, yeah. And, like, you know, th- there was an entire German army in North Africa that never surrendered until, you know, November 1918. Uh, and, like, the, talking about, like, the differences between war game, like, what, the kind of war gaming we're doing and in quotes, proper wargaming, mm-hmm. is I've been involved for several years now on a project um, researching the labor, the North African Labour Corps in the First World War, which, for those who don't know, is a low point in British colonial relationships, even for Britain, where tens of thousands of Nigerian men, women, and children were more or less enslaved into the labor corps. They were paid such a pittance that they weren't technically slaves, but they were paid like a fraction. They were paid a month, the fraction of a normal laborer's day wage. And been working with a number of uh, historians on trying to to promote this their stories 
and actually what happened. And I've been trying to work out a way of, you know, the logistics and the game of gaming it in a way that can engage an audience to go right. Here you are. We need to get water and supplies from here to 150 miles away across a desert, which is just shifting sand. Yeah. Work it out. And you just set people off carrying it and, you know, thousands of people die. An absolutely horrendous episode in history nobody knows about could actually, working at putting it through a, into a game, like some sort of resource management game, even though you're talking about human lives, I think could be an interesting and useful teaching tool. And then I would say that is morally correct. Yeah. Using game as a learning tool is is very powerful, I think. Um, yeah. Um, like we're talking about um, colonial because I I just I did the French Foreign Legion um, against the like the Moroccan rebels recently, painted those guys up, and that led me to go and read loads of information about what was going on in North Africa, how that led to like World War One. Things, loads of things led to World War One. It would turn out, uh, but there's a lot of stuff going on. The division of um, like North Africa amongst European states, and um, how that would work. Whether we're sending a geologist in with thousand men, <laughs> it's a science. We're just doing some scientific research. Oh, we've been attacked. Oh, we need more troops to defend us. It's, it's some very modern things in what was a very old war, um, but I learned. And I don't go into it thinking, oh, the French Foreign Legion are the heroes. And, you know, as I might, as you might have done 100 years ago with, with the knowledge we had then, you know, I built these two armies and it's it's just a conflict that's taking place. And I've, I've learned the history of it. And I'm not projecting good or bad onto anyone. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, um, that's a really good point. And like, I, in my like professional work, uh, I'm quite inspired by a French historian who was called uh, Marc Bloch. Mm-hmm. And he, he wrote a book. Well, he, he, he was writing a book called The Historian's Craft before the Germans killed him because he was involved in the French resistance. Right. And uh, he sort of... His sort of whole thing is that a historian's job it's not really you shouldn't rush to make a judgment it's sort of like it's the enemy of of history like history is to sort of you explain and describe what happens in sort of like normative terms so that other so people can look at it and go this is horrendous this is wrong um or this is just this is right and i think sort of approaching things like that is how I try to do all of my professional work and my, my gaming work. Mm-hmm. And, and I think where I would sort of put that in with colonial stuff is possibly choose is, is how some of the conflicts that are gained are chosen and how I think like a, a wider range of conflicts being chosen to game would I think be more inclusive and would give a truer picture of the the actual 
sense of history in the world. Like there are very, I can't think of any game off the top of my head, really, where like a, uh, the colonial powers lose. Whereas something like the Haitian Revolt and Rebellion would be a really cool game because you know oh, it's yeah. where you know the Western world lost and yeah. they did they didn't win the same as you know Ethiopia Abyssinia mm-hmm. you know the 19th century invasions of Abyssinia went horrendously for Italy you know Abyssinia Ethiopia was the only country in Africa not colonized that would be quite cool to sort of game I think as would you know the one of the richest people ever in human, the richest nations ever in human history was the Ghanaian Empire. You know, so much that when he went on pilgrimage to Alexandria, he crashed the Western gold value because it brought so much gold with him. Uh, these, you know, it was just like wandering down the streets and just, they would just hand people bars of gold. Um, you know, like this kind of history, I think, would be really cool. To game and people to know, and you know, like we'll. This would be interesting for international listeners, because I think you know we're often sort of. I think it's especially from like a historical point of view, you sort of view like the Greco-Roman world as the seat of civilization. Everything outside yeah. is barbarous, and you know you realize like even when like. It, it, it's debatable, but it's post probable that like Roman dignitaries, or like envoys ended up in china and the chinese were like who are these bumpkins like yeah what's going on here whereas china was like a much massively more developed civilization with much bigger and, and larger cities and yet we know nothing about them and none of it's none of it's mentioned or it, none of it's gained you know and south america you know the only the games that i can really think of in south america are conquistadors and afterwards like yeah again this comes down to models model ranges and actually would people play it but yeah our game set among first nations people of north america might well be quite interesting rather than another rehash of indian wars or something like that and i think gamers I think could do themselves a much better. I think gamers could make things easier for people who aren't currently historical war gamers if they did a wider range of games. And yep. I think things like Tribal, which is you know is designed for like intertribal Maori combat, really, is a much better game I think than something about the Second Maori War where you've got the British just shooting the Maoris. Yeah. Um, that, that's what I would think and I would say there are huge parts of the globe where they've got a really interesting history and showing and, and sharing that history through a game might be a really cool and interesting way to actually engage people in those in that history, in that story and actually connect them with it in a way that just reading a book wouldn't or just playing yeah. another random book well, that's why I would say you know, I, I think and I would say historical wargaming is a vastly underutilized resource yeah. for 
educators, historians. Prior to COVID, I was attending conferences all the time where you would have professors and other academics saying, how do we engage people with the research that we are doing? Because there is only a certain subset of the population who either read historical journals, read history books, or engaging. Now, there are a lot of topics that aren't really suitable, but you can't make a snazzy documentary or a docudrama yeah. about them. But how do we engage people with the research that we are doing? And you know, I will always champion gaming. Yeah. I think you, you learn history, and then you relearn history, and then you relearn history again. You know, you just you just find out that you're just so there's so many aspects. Um, I say that history has the best fluff of any game I've ever <laughs> I've ever played because you discover something about a country and its war, and then you find out a hundred years earlier something had happened, and it all fits together. And wherever you go and learn the history, you suddenly realise that it just all connects together in a way that a made-up world never could. It's just, it just, it just, yeah. History is amazing subject, and and just just keep learning it. And I think the games. That I play really, you know, help me to get involved and learn. Is it moral? You know, there's, there's people out there who don't like people playing with like water pistols because they think it's wrong to shoot water pistols. So, I mean, it, it, I think it comes down that does come a point where you just have to say it's down to the individual. If you feel that it's too much of a corrupting influence, even to imagine your guys are shooting pretend guns at pretend people in a pretend war, you know, that you're not going to cope very well with pretending to play some Germans. Um, yeah. You know, but I think I, it, it comes to a point where, and like so many things, like it's a personal choice. Uh, if you are there and you are glorifying SS troops committing atrocities, then yeah, I would say you have definitely gone too far. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, what is the point of your, like, if you are, if you were playing a game where you are a slave catcher and you know the object of the game is you have to catch more escaped slaves than your opponent and you know it's all hijinks and a jolly you're catching slaves what is the point of that game um like the, the only way i can see that is if you've set it up so that at the end you reveal that's the situation and then the person feels awful <laughs> yeah. they go, oh my god that's what i was doing i feel so terrible i was a clerk in a building doing this game i didn't realize the consequences of my actions i need to think more about the consequence i can imagine how someone in london who didn't realize the situation you know yeah educate in that way but if it's just yeah yeah i think i think this is a topic we could literally talk about for days and yeah. i think if if listeners have got a further i'm sure you will have further questions or further input please ask them on the facebook group and it's something we will recover we will definitely return to because i we know down at our club you know, we have hundreds of regular members and the historical players are in a minority mm -hmm. and i know it's because a lot of people look at us sideways and go are they a bit iffy because they're playing the germans and it is a simple fact of life that if you're a historical gamer other gamers quite often think we're a bit shifty and it's a pity and hopefully we've talked in the, you know, the last 
45 minutes or however long this segment has been, we've tried to dismiss some of that thing, but I think it is a perception that other people have of us, even if it isn't true. And it as you know, it doesn't help when somebody posts a picture of, oh, look at my objective markers. And you go, oh, they're, they're, yay. Well, you know, here's every single tank I've painted has got a aerial recognition flag on it. And Yeah. Oh, have you painted any other tanks? Oh, no. Just um, German ones with funny flags on them. You know, yeah. Tom, we're going to stop because I, I, I can feel we'll just stop, talk for another half hour. The main segment. In today's main segment, we're talking about building the two armies that Andy and I are going to take to the Bolt Action Tournament at the beginning of next month. Uh, but hopefully, even if you don't play Bolt Action, chatting about army building might be useful to you for whatever system that you play. And for this, we are using the Easy Army Bolt Action Platoon Builder, which is free to use online. And so if you wanted yep. to load this up and build along with us while we chat... I think if you're new into bolt action, that should be one of the first things you learn is like, okay, planning an army list, easy army. It is the number one computer game I play. I am probably on here at least three or four times a week building hypothetical army lists. I was listening to the Snafu podcast recently and they had that they were working with Greg from uh, Easy Army. And hello to the guys that are listening, I'm sure. They all listen to our podcast on Snafu. That's a quick public service information from uh, from Greg over at Easy Army. If you are listening to this and you have got like 2,000 army lists on there, maybe delete a few. He'd really appreciate it. Because <laughs> he runs it himself, doesn't he, Tom? It's not like a, it's not a company. He gets like it's run all run off PayPal donations. And if you but you can buy things from him as well. So if you're thinking of picking up a unit, go buy it through Greg on Easy Army and and help keep him running the site. There you go. That's message over, Tom. Back to you. Yeah, so it's a free-to-use site. Got most of the units in. There are a couple of slight uh, faults with it, but that's because, I said, it's a one-man show and there are dozens of army books and tens of thousands of different combinations of how you can build armies. So, But also most tournaments, I don't know about the rest of the world, but especially in the UK, most tournaments want you to email in an easy army army list yeah because you can even like submit to an event using the army list as a button to click submit to an event you can send it over so we're using it today and the event we're going to beginning next month the has some army building limitations you have to use a single reinforced platoon you can only use units which are applicable to the reinforced platoon and it has a 16 dice cap limit. Yep. And so that's no theatre selectors, no more than 16 dice, yep. no campaign book units, yep. which are campaign book specific. That's the ones. So we are starting today with Andy. So yes. I've, I've loaded up the German reinforced platoon. So, yeah, I should tell everyone, I've, I bought a, because Axis are ally tickets, and I thought for the first time, I am going to play Axis at an event, because I'm normally my partisans, I should think that's all I've ever, <laughs> all I've ever played at events, tournaments, has been partisans. 
And I was like, no, maybe it's time to play something different. So I went for, um, I'll go for Axis. And so that means for me, I'm going to be playing as, as Germans. Um, now, I was tempted to take my uh, Flauschenjäger, which I've not used yet, or some late war, like Hair Grenadier. But I have decided to go with DAC, Deutschland Afrika Corps. That's the army I'm going to go for today, Tom. Nice. Um, now, I could go, like, try and go for the most competitive list that I could. But I think I'm going to try and be... I just a nice, I just nice friendly, a friendly, a nice friendly army, um, a nice friendly balanced list. I'm trying to do a bit of everything, um, and there's a few things I think I, I think I'd like to include a tiger, which um, I got tiger one three one. I think I'd like to take her. I'm I'm kind of thinking Hannah Mags two fifty Hannah Mags all oh, the tiger, but maybe we should start getting some some basic things that I have to take. Um, sorted first. So, um, Tom, what's, we, there are some compulsory choices, aren't there? Well, the compulsory things for any bolt action army is two infantry squads and an officer. Mm-hmm. So, now the infantry squads, uh, if you're taking DAC, are you taking regulars or veterans? Have you thought? Uh, I think I'm just going to go for regulars to begin with. I guess this, this is the point where I have to start making a decision, Tom, because if I'm going to be taking um, the 250s, uh, yes. they, have, they have a capacity of six men. Yes. Um, and you, in the squad. They can fit into it. You can also, if you're taking the Tiger, mm-hmm. you're going to not have room for, you're going to have to shave points on the troops. If you take the Tiger, mm-hmm. if you yeah. take the 250s, you can spend a little bit more money on the troops. Um, yeah. Because you could maybe have like five-man veteran squads if you take the 251s. Oh, yeah, I could take I could take a few more veterans bombing around the table. Um, I think let's take a look. If I take... A tiger one. Let's go. Let's go to tanks first. Let's start. Um, well, let's do the, the two compulsory first. Okay. So I have to take an officer. Yep. So I, I, let's put down a second lieutenant. No, I normally like to take a first lieutenant because I'm odd. But well, you don't I'd... really need to. If you, uh, the German special rules, when you get the plus one. Uh, call to action dice on him anyway yes. as a second, so he just sort of functions similarly to a first. He does. So yeah, but let's just go for a second lieutenant because we're. I know we're going to be looking at save points later on, so let's just do that right now. Okay, so shall we give him a buddy or no buddy if we're shaving points? Let's. I like to give him a buddy. Okay, so that's his buddy. Yes, uh, because sixty points for your lieutenant and his buddy. Um, and then let's what let's do a couple of six man squads. Okay, we can bump them up later for uh, just regular DAC. So, yep, so they are the DAC option. Uh, looking through 
looking through for the DAC troop option in this. And then we'll just go for rules-wise, if you just want regulars yeah. uh, in the not using a book, they will not use encourage troop. So they're just going to be standard here. Yeah. Uh, regular infantry, aren't they? Cameras. Yeah. So that's six. Okay, so that's two six-man infantry squads. And we can take some upgrades, can't we, to that? So Yeah, you can take uh, the NCO can have a machine gun. You can give them one light machine gun, and they can all take anti-tank grenades. I think a light machine gun for sure, because the Germans get the extra dice on their light machine guns. It's, it seems fitting. So a light machine gun in both squads? Yes, please. Okay. And then let's get that um, that tiger. Okay, we then take a regular tiger. Uh, you want a regular tiger one? Yes, please. Okay. So that and leaves... that's all my points spent. Nice. Uh, <laughs> you've got 385 points left. Left. Right. Okay. So I... What are going to go for next? So we won't be down through the list, Tom. Well... I think, are you taking, see, the, the Tiger, when I approach army building lists, I always, uh, we're talking about bolt action here, but this applies to anything, I think of three things, mm -hmm. I think, how to take objectives, yeah. how to hold objectives, and then how to deal with different unit types, so you yeah. need, like the Tiger, we can deal with both armour and veteran units because it's, it's got mm -hmm. the super heavy AT gun and the, med the equivalent medium howitzer uh, at both. So that the Tiger deals with <clears throat> taking out armor and veteran units. Uh, the infantry squads with the machine guns are both really good at holding your objectives. So I would say what you need at the moment is infantry to move forward and take objectives. Yeah, I think that should we just chuck in two more six-man squads? Okay. With LMG in both of them. I think you're right. We just need... We just need... I like a good number of infantry squads if I can. I normally fill up my troops. I normally take a minimum of six. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I normally take a, a minimum of four man... Four infantry squads. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because um, that's you can always uh, increase the number of men in there later on if we get some points left over. I imagine I probably will increase them from six, but we'll. Well, yeah, I personally like seven, so yeah. that you, you have to then lose four of them to take the morale test. Yeah. Um, I, I like odd numbers. Uh, so it's like five or seven. Five, seven, or nine is generally what I use. But uh, that's. So you've got four squads there. And you've still got 225 points left. Well, let's have a look at some of the, the interesting stuff I can take. So what, what we've got after infantry, there's going to be... Well, the, there's the team weapons. So we have mortars, snipers, anti-tank, artillery, armoured cars. Well, let's go to artillery, shall we? I'm, I'm sure I'm going to need a medium howitzer. So a regular medium howitzer? 
Yes, please. Break the meat. And a spotter? Yes, please. Okay. Um, let's have a look at, um, should we get a mortar team as well? Regular mortar team? Regular me medium mortar? Yes, please. Okay. Are we doing some points now? You've now got 80 points left. 80? Yes. Mm. How much is um, an infantry squad costing me? Uh, 80. Oh, so I could take. I could have five squads of guys, couldn't I? You could. Or what are my um. <clears throat> you could also possibly have like a motorbike machine gun and bulk out a couple of your squads. I would love to take um a, a motorcycle machine gun, but I haven't got one painted due to an accident in ordering the wrong model, Tom. Ah, it's an excellent choice. What have, what have we got in the um, armored car options that are cheap? A uh, motorcycle or a Kubel wagon. I haven't got a Kubel wagon either. Hmm. Uh, I think that that's really it for what you've got the points for. Um, that's effective, I would say. I'm going to guess that the anti-tank is going to be an anti-tank rifle. Yeah. Um, I, that Tiger one is is pretty expensive, isn't it? That's the thing I should, you know, by choosing that, it really is limiting my other options. It, the, the Tiger one really is when you're taking a Tiger, you're going to be down on points. You're going to be down on unit. You're going to be both down on units and down on other toys. Yeah. But the benefit, like with a Tiger, is very few armies are going to be able to deal with it. And I really hope that when, if you turned up and I know I would, if I turned up and I saw a tiger, I'd be like, oh man, cool. A tiger. I, um, like, I think like, it's cool to see one because I, I never see one. At no. And I'm well, sure there's a very good reason for that. It's, I've only ever played against two tigers and I beat them both times. Because the problem with it, really, like if you play somebody who has got armor, mm -hmm. then you'll be really, you'll be able, to, you, it will easily get its points back. Yeah. The problem is, it's like a, a 400 point unit. And for example, like if somebody hasn't got any armor, it's very, very difficult for it to get its points back. Yeah. Um, but saying that, also in like a kill point game, it can be work in your advantage in that it's very hard to kill. There aren't very many options in the game for taking out an armor 10 tank at range um, easily. So I think like if you did take the Tiger out and swapped it for something like a, a Panzer three. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I've got a Panzer three and a Panzer four painted up, ready to go for Dak. Like I would say, for this event, as one of the missions is table quarters, so you need to try and be as mobile as possible. I think possibly a Tiger, 
like I would personally rather face this army with the tiger than with the two fifty ones. I think like the the Hanamags themselves aren't fantastically point efficient, mm. but they would give me more of a headache than the tiger. Okay, let's drop let's drop the tiger, Tom. Right, so we're we're swapping out the tiger. And we're going for what are we going for? I'm just having a look through the uh, the Western Desert campaign book to try and see what tanks would actually have been around in like what 1942. Yeah, kind of thinking. So it recommends type of tanks you'd have there would be Panzer three, like a G H J and L. Three Panzer four D and F. So, what ones are those ones? This well, makes great radio, by the way. <laughs> the Panzer I'll just G say Panzer three and then a, a series of letters. The Panzer G is a light tank, which has a medium AT gun and a coaxial and a whole machine gun. So, you know, eight plus 155 points. Mm. The H and J is a medium tank, so nine plus, same weapons, uh, 200 points. Yeah, I've. So do, do, does the Panzer three that you have have the short-barreled or the long-barreled gun? It has the long-barreled gun. So it's most likely a H or a J then. Yeah, I'm trying. I've got. I've done the one with the with the skirts on, but that's that's for um, in green. It's not in yeah. desert camo. And I've got the Panzer four with the short barrel as well. So. Panzer four short barrels. That could be the light howitzer. I never like. I've, I'm not a fan of a light howitzer. No, nor am I. So I think we're looking at a Panzer three H, aren't we? Yep. It's also got the reinforced armor, so you got. Uh, you don't get the plus two to hit it in the rear. Mm -hmm. So it's. There we go. We just saved ourselves like 140 points, eh? Uh, 195 points. <laughs> um, and we're going to spend that on what, like, four, four, two fifties. Uh, yeah. So the question is, do I need? So, are we going for the two fifty? Are we I mean, going quite... for? Two... Excuse me. Are we going for the two fifty ones or the two fifty? Two fifties, because that's what I've got painted. So right. I've so we need two fifty ones, but they're in like grey rather than in. Uh, so, right, we need to drop a man from each of the squads then, because they have a five-man capacity. Five-man, okay, five-man then, yep. So we want four of these, is that correct? Yep. Because I think with having the dice limit, uh, the, there's going to be a lot of veterans, so it's going to be having a lot of pin options. Is going to be really useful. Yeah. So what we got now? We've got an officer and his buddy. An officer and his buddy. Um, then four five-man sections, each with an LMG in. Yeah. Um, and then four Hanamags. Yeah. A medium mortar. 
a medium howitzer. Yep. And a Panzer three. Cool. How many points we got left? Fifteen. All right, fifteen points left. And, and, and you got. Um, so you can put. Um, I guess SMGs. If yeah, the... if if it was, you, you could put some SMGs in there. I would drop the LMG from, I think, at least one squad. Yeah. Um, because you could then buy um, another HQ option, like maybe a medic or a chaplain, which could drive around in one of the other transports, and the transport could then be used more like an armoured car. But I'd need another transport because there's four, isn't there? And there's, I've got four squads. Yeah, but you don't have to because you're just using the reinforced platoon squad rules. Mm-hmm. Like you might well set up one or two of your squads on your home objectives. Yeah, and so you'll have a couple of empty transports. Like you can put your officer in one, but if you have like two objectives on your baseline that mm-hmm. you you secure, you're going to then have two empty transports, and you need to make sure then that an enemy doesn't end up nearer to your transport than your own troops, because otherwise they disappear. Mm. Um, How much is a medic? Cheapest medic is 30 points. Yeah, because I think... Do they have to be veteran? I, can't, I think they're, they're not... Yeah, they have to be veteran. Yeah. Okay. So, so do you want to run through what that is? Yep, so you have a second a regular second lieutenant and a buddy. Yep. You then have three five-man regular squads... Each with an LMG. Mm-hmm. You have then a five-man squad with a submachine gun. Yep. You have a medic. You have a medium mortar and a spotter. You have a medium howitzer and a spotter, regular. Yep. You then have a regular Panzer III H or J, which is medium anti-tank gun, medium machine gun and coaxial machine gun. And you then have four... SD KFZ two fifty one half tracks, which are you know these are two fifty ones. Two fifty one two fifty slash ones. Yeah. So you've oh, got yeah. an MMG covering the forward arc and you know, five men, armor seven. Yeah. Away you go. Yeah. Thirteen dice in total. Cause that cause that helps you because I take um as many machine guns in a German army because the Hitler's buzzsaw rule. You might as well take advantage of it. If you can, I'd, oh I, yeah, I, I'm never so sure. In other armies, of taking the LMG is worth it, but I think the extra shot makes it worth it for for Germans. Well, yeah, you're, you're paying two rifle shots for six shots, mm-hmm. so it's worthwhile. Like, like each of your infantry squads will then put out uh, what is it? Three. You're putting nine shots out, hitting on fours when you disembark. Um, from those five dudes, so you, you should be all right. Yeah, I think. Because I'm an option to like give some of them like some SMGs. I have a squad that's like got more SMGs in it. Well, you could always uh, take it. If we you dropped one of the the regular squads, so the regular squad is coming in at seventy points. Yeah, with the LMG, 
you could get a veteran squad for 65 points and then possibly put in a couple of SMGs. Um, Five-man regular squads aren't really going to hold up a whole deal. Um, no. So it might be better to change into veteran. Like, you might be... If it was me, I would probably drop one of the half-tracks to have veterans with some SMGs and make them a little bit more survivable. Mm-hmm. Um... Because I, I will just see. Oh, no, even with regulars, early war, you can only get one submachine gun in. Yeah, that's it. I, I, I thought that was the case. I, I remember this in Jiggery Poker for you ignore history, history and just take like a, a, a like a late war hair grenadier squad or something. It was like I remember thinking that there's some way you could do it. Um, you could take. You could technically take like an, a, a pioneer squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can all take submachine guns then. Yeah, I know. But I'm, yeah, well, they've been in the northern desert. Yeah, they definitely had flamethrowers and stuff in the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like what you've got now, I think, is a relatively historical list. Yeah. Um, not so much the medic man in the machine gun, but. Ah, uh, I- is the medic? I mean, the medic goes in there just so the truck doesn't disappear. He does not man the machine gun because that would, uh, that's against the Geneva Convention, Tom. Yeah, he, he's just there making well, sure that the, the, the driver does man the machine gun. Yeah. Um, same as your lieutenant and the other one. Because um, transports can always fire one weapon on their own anyway. Right. Got two weapons, need someone else in to fire the second one. Yeah, but. I mean, what were we thinking? 998 with that army. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we you know we are going to play these against each other. Yes. So I am going to get a chance to see how how that feels. Um, but you, are you saying if I dro- I could drop the the LMG and then change into veteran? If you dropped the LMG, mm-hmm. you would have veterans with an SMG. On the lieutenant, and you'd have, you'd save two points. Yeah, I think let's try this one out and see how we get on. And then after we've had our first game, I think I'm going to know how I feel about veterans. I I do like veterans. I think veterans are so much better than inexperienced. I don't like inexperienced, but um, yeah, let's see. Let's see. So um, let's. I think for for me, I'm, I'm sure everyone's enjoying this. Me talking about my army here, but I think let's, let's give that a go. It's a historically accurate-ish army. Um, but what's, it's got a few different things in it. Well, we can give that a try. Yeah, I, th- I think I know that this will give me a lot of trouble. Um, and no, this, I'd like to hear. Yeah, this this is an army. I would much rather have faced the tiger army than this one. Yeah. Um, I really want to take a tiger because I think tigers are so much fun, but it's just, <laughs> I know it's just like, it's just not very good. <laughs> I think a tiger, I'll gladly play you a game against the tiger. I think a tiger army might be fun for like an odd game down the club. It yeah. might not be so much fun 
at a tournament if you end up like heavily losing all three games? I mean, part of me is like, I, I've, I've been to events. I've won events. I know I can win events. It, it kind of, it doesn't, and I, I'm not saying it doesn't matter if I win or not, because I'm not, I like to win. But at the same time, it, 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 I just think sometimes it's nice to bring something that isn't going to be expected. Yeah, oh, definitely so. I was like, oh, no, I heard someone's got a tiger. The rumours go around the room. Someone's, who's going to get the tiger guy? <laughs> and even though we all know that tigers are rubbish, there's a little <laughs> bit of it, it's like, oh, man, i got to face a tiger. It still makes you like, you do generally get a little bit of tiger fear, even though you're like, it actually isn't that good. Oh, here goes my one shot. Yeah, I missed. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right, yeah. so I, I will now... Right, in... over to, to Tom. Let's see. I can't help you so much with this one. Are you right. using the army list from... Is it uh, from Empire and Flames? No, I'm going to use the army in sub-Japan book. Right. So... Oh, yeah, sorry. You're playing Japanese, not, um, not Chinese. What am I thinking? Yeah, I'm playing Japanese. And so... I am doing a Battle of Shanghai. They're all bamboo spears, right? Yeah. Uh, no. No bamboo spears. Uh, Battle of Shanghai, 1937 set army. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, not using the Empire in Flames army selector or rules. It's just using the reinforced platoon selector. I think we're allowed to, are we? Nope. And so I will start off with a regular second lieutenant and a buddy. And I will then go for two veteran grenadier squads of seven dudes each and an e-mortar. Never used e-mortars before, but we will see how they go. Yeah, well, you've got to try them sometime. So that is my core put in. I will then go for a heavy mortar. Regular. With a spotter. And then my artillery. I'm going to go for the Type 91 105 field gun, which is a medium howitzer. And I'm going to go veteran for this now i would only normally go regular for crew weapons but the reason why i'm going veteran for this one is that the both the japanese and the chinese have bigger gun crews so this is a medium howitzer with six men and yeah. having six you know, paying the 17 points but making them all veterans just makes them more survivable um you know, it actually means, like, if a squad charges them, they have a chance of actually beating them in combat. And they can yeah. take a few hits. So that's... You're really trying to, as much as possible, Tom, is what you're telling me. Pardon? You're just trying to game it as much as possible. Yeah. Um... I thought you could tell me a story about how only the bravest and most veterans of soldiers were put on the gun crews. Well, this is all historically accurate in the fact that I've read several books on the siege of Shanghai and that sort of a thing um, and it's a very complicated battle in yeah. that you have several hundred naval troops in the centre of defending a building, basically a building and compound in the centre of Shanghai you then have 
tens of thousands of Chinese troops encircling them. And then those tens of thousands of Chinese are then in further encircled by various different Japanese armies that are approaching. Mm -hmm. And they're sort of being held up by villages, rivers, trench systems, and all sorts of stuff. So you have like uh, parts of the battlefield are looking like Stalingrad. Other yeah. parts are looking like Verdun. And then other parts are like something out of Vietnam. Um, so it's like all at the same time. You've got house-to-house yeah. -house street fighting compared to like rice paddies and bush fighting. So mm -hmm. And the... Interesting. The uh, artillery was really required because the cities... Shanghai was like ringed and Nanjing were like ringed by loads of fortified towns. Um, but they were like fortified towns which had huge walls which were hundreds if not thousands of years old. And they were only could really be taken by smashing holes in the walls. Right. And so you needed the howitzers to get there. But they, it w was very difficult to get them to where they needed to be because of the roads and mud and grime. And so advances would be held up until they had the how it's a support which is why i've taken the grenadiers because mm -hmm. like the grenadier the the knee mortars were one of the few weapons that they actually had that could like fire over the walls right um and why i've also taken the heavy mortar rather than the medium right so then taking an anti-tank rifle team yep veteran um and then i'm going to take some three suicide AT guys. Yep. But I'm only taking two of them are veteran and one of them is regular for the simple fact that one of, of the models, one of them has a mine that you throw. One of them has a mine on a stick and one of them has a small mine in a bag. And right. I do not believe that you can bang a mine in a bag under a tank and become a veteran at it. I do think you can possibly throw a mine and become a veteran, but not with a bag. Um, so that comes in at 590 points so far. So I've got the two veteran squads, the veteran grenadier squads, three suicide AT guys, an anti-tank rifle team, a mortar and a field gun. Now going to take a engineer squad with a flamethrower in it. Flamethrowers were used in the city part of Shanghai and they are exceptionally good in bolt action. So I'm going to take a five-man squad with a flamethrower for the time being. We might put that up later. And then two standard seven-man squads with a light machine gun. And so that comes in at 897 points. And I'm on 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 12 dice. So I've got 100 points I can spend on really whatever I want to spend it on. Uh, I'm not taking any armor at all because it doesn't fit in with the army yeah. that I'm taking. Now, I could take 
a machine gun section which allows me to sort of take a medium machine gun and some additional crew and if that machine gun is killed by a sniper then the rest of the crew just become riflemen so with 103 points I could take a five-man crew five-man veteran squad with a medium machine gun or I could take extra I could take a sniper or I could take extra men in my squads what are your thoughts on this Andy um I think snipers are an excellent choice it's just you know well they're so easy to paint <laughs> for a unit yeah I have a sniper thank you fellas okay. um I mean yeah um, what have you got to choose from? Are these, is that the options you have, like model-wise, that you have? Yeah, I've got plenty of it. Well, as I'm painting it at the minute, I've got the options of really whatever I want to take. Um, you know, a sniper or a couple of extra infantry dudes is is more or less the same. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm I, medi- like, I like a sniper because it's it's a couple of guys and you get an extra order dice. It's a couple of order dice. It's a couple of guys. It's an order dice and. You know, I think sometimes you end up in the sniper duel of, oh, they don't do this, they don't do that. But if you, you know, you snipe out that officer or you take out that flamethrower, they earn their points. Yeah. Or, you know, you get the shot on that mortar team, away you go. Um, <laughs> you only, as is traditional, the snipers must fire at each other, rolling ones until uh, turn five, when one finally kills the other one. Yeah. And I think also with the, the snipers... Maybe I only really just thought of that's important. It's they also muck up with how your opponent deploys. Yeah, because you're forward. not you're not going to put that mortar or the machine gun in the optimum position if I've got a sniper lurking. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, with the other twenty eight, thirty eight points I've got, I'm going to bang up one of my veteran squads, one of the grenadier squads, because. The knee mortars only have a 24-inch range, so they'll be very close. I'm putting them up to nine men. Yeah. Um, and I'll give both NCOs an SMG. Um, and that gives me... Uh, I've got six points left, so I might as well give the vet... The, uh, engineer squad and SMG as well. Spore SMGs in Japan had in the entire war. Um, so that gives me 997 points, 13 dice, 5 veteran squads, heavy mortar, medium howitzer, anti tank rifle team, 3 suicide AT guys, and a sniper. Yeah, sounds horrible. And a second <laughs> lieutenant. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. And like, I wouldn't like to, let's just like, it is. No, I'm going to bother the tank. But I uh, anti-tank guys. There's a lot of tank guys, suicide guys that are like they're so good when they actually get up to a tank. Things uh, experienced previously. Yeah, but also because we're playing the missions of table quarters and that sort of thing, they're actually it's quite easy to hide one guy. Mm-hmm. And like being able to hide one guy, just go down, not do anything, but also be a threat. So like if you bring a tank on. I could potentially come on and smash you up as well. Um, mm-hmm. Like, mid, like the, the three of them are 75 points almost. They yeah. are more expensive than like a, a Panzer Shrek team. Yeah. But 
they, you should hopefully. I would rather take three veteran um, suicide and tank guys and one Panzer Shrek team. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. But why would you ever take a Panzer Shrek team when you could just take Panzerfaust in your squads? Um, from a competitive point of view. Yeah. Um, so this is the army we're going to have a game with on Wednesday and see how it goes. Yeah. We are actually going to have uh, a game in person, which is a, a frightening and exciting proposition. So looking forward to it. So I'll email this to myself. Um, email me my list as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, thank you very much, listeners, for listening to this. I hope it's been at least moderately interesting listening to us click buttons on a website. Thanks for thanks for dropping by and listening to us uh, talk about our, our planned lists. Uh, we're going to give them a go on on Wednesday. See how they play. We will come back and give you a a full report. We might jigger a few things around and change them around and see how we get on. But um, looking forward to having some games in person. It's a it might be a longer episode this week, this time. So apologies or it's great news if you love more of us. Um, but we'll definitely speak to you soon. See you on the Facebook page, everyone. Goodbye.